Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Archivist Bets on Sexy Witches, a podcast from the Geek Girls perspective, and I am the head huntress. It's Devil's Night, ladies and gentle witches out there, so welcome to Halloween Eve, or is it All Hallows Eve Eve? How would you ever call it? Mistress Night, whatever you want to call it, welcome. This is our Halloween episode of Sexy Witches, and we have a treat for you tonight. Two great hosts, and we'll get to them in just a moment. First things first, let me bring on one of my sexy witches waiting on the line in Seattle, Washington. YouTuber extraordinaire, blogger extraordinaire, makeup artist extraordinaire, please welcome to the show my sexy werewitch, Queenie Todd. Oh. Werewolves London. <laughs> I love that song. I actually played that song today. I, I, you know, it's it, it funny because, like, you know, someone asked me what my favorite Universal monster is, and I really had to think about it, and I'm going to go with Wolfman Queenie. I figured you'd be proud of yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Uh, so I don't know if we're going to have any other sexy witches on the line. Erin Marie has been, as you may know, has been having technical difficulties with phones the last few rounds of, of, of episodes. And I haven't heard no, from Erin Kogan, my cuz L.A. correspondent, who's also playing the madness, by the way. Uh, but I'm assuming he'll be around tonight. But first, before we get into any of that kind of stuff, let me introduce my guest. Young Extraordinaire just won the Best Director at the Nightmares Film Festival in Columbus, Ohio, which people know for indie films is a pretty good win and just won a Top 31 Best Small Horror Fest in the Country Award today, which was pretty cool. Uh, her, her film Live Scream has been a hit on the festival circuit and one of my most anticipated films at the festival, which I also attended. And... She was also on my Women of Independent Horror panel this past May in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. So please welcome to the show, Michelle. I'm going to try. Are you ready? I know you. everyone messes up your name. But I'm going to try it, okay? Please welcome to the show, <laughs> Michelle Iana Tuono. Is that close? 
It's not a complete butchering. <laughs> I heard words this week. I'll give myself a C plus on that. C plus. That's all right. I can give you a B minus. <laughs> okay, I appreciate it. I, and I apologize in advance because I know you probably are annoyed that everyone messes up your name. Everyone. No, it's it's basically I'm more impressed when they get it right. That's that's I look at it in the positive. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because my best friend, Catlin, her last name is Spediachi. And the reason why we became oh, friends because I was the only one who knew how to pronounce Spediachi correctly in school. <laughs> that's Italians, <laughs> I swear. Yeah, that's Italian. So, but anyway, so welcome to the show, Michelle. You're on with the Sexy Witches. Um, and um, so we have a lot to talk about, Queenie, because I not only attended one film festival during the madness, I attended two film festivals during the madness. Mm. Real quick shout out. I did the fir- uh, one, our local one here at the AFI Silver, which is the Ski Movie International Film Festival. And they had a really nice lineup this year. Um, Mandy played there, which I know, Queenie, you just saw, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you did. So we'll it's talk about Mandy. Ah, excellent. And um, The Ranger, which is uh, a female-driven slasher movie about killer park rangers, which is way in my wheelhouse, also played there. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, so, but what I went to see was awesome because my hero, Dan Cossarelli was there signing his memoir and, and he did a 4k scan of phantasm to go with his book signing. So I went to that and, uh, I, I kind of wish it was Bubba Hotep or Beastmaster cause I actually love those films more. But I was super psyched after 10 years, I met him 10 years ago, that not only did I meet him again, he remembered me, and he, we talked about what I've done since then, and I told him about the podcast, and it's kind of neat to go, like, the reason why I started doing this whole thing is because I had a really positive guest encounter with him 12 years ago at Horror Finds here in D.C., and that was what started me on my horror convention, Geekery, and here I am on this podcast talking to, about to talk to the director of an awesome, awesome independent film, which, Queenie, you're going to be so on board for this movie, because you're the gamer of our, of our, of our coven here on Sexy Witches. Yeah, well, no, not just LARPing, but you also do video games, and I know Ben, Ben, your boy, (laughs) and you both do... You both do streaming too, with live streaming. So yeah. it, it's like yeah. so in your wheelhouse. So Michelle, let's talk a little bit about your film first, and then we'll talk about the film festival as a whole and what we both did while we were there. Right. So, okay. What do you want to know about live stream? Basically, basic premise. <laughs> Well, you've been doing these interviews. Okay, Queenie, every time I turned around, she's been doing an interview for somebody else's cast and stuff, and it's been hysterical. <laughs> so I'm sure you've got the, like, Live Scream is a gaming horror film. I'm sure you have your spiel. So what's your spiel? I want to hear it. Yeah, I do have the spiel. <laughs> um, and, 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 yes, I, I feel like I've been doing podcasts every day for, like, the past 10 years, um, <laughs> at least in October. Um, so, yeah, Live Scream is a gaming horror movie. It's a real-time found footage movie, I guess you would say. I didn't originally classify it as found footage when I made it, but community has really adopted it. So I'm like, hey, you know, <laughs> it's found its audience, so I won't complain. Um, but it's basically a Twitch stream that starts killing people. So if 
you're familiar with Twitch, if you're familiar even with like YouTube Let's Plays where, you know, these guys play video games and people watch them play games, uh, then that's, that's something that's pretty familiar. So basically it's just like the survival horror story that kind of feels like it has an interactive element, but it really is all just a film. And I built uh, nine games in Unreal Engine for the film, so all the games are original, but they are all, all homaging some sort of game that exists in popular culture like Five Nights at Freddy's or Slender. So I think part of the fun of the movie, too, is if you are familiar with that world, um, you know, every level that he plays, you know, you might get, it might trigger your memory of like, oh, this is Five Nights at Freddy's or, oh, this is Amnesia. And hopefully, like, what I wanted to do with it was just pour all the knowledge and all the culture and stuff that I've absorbed in the last, like, four years of watching these guys play into this movie that's just like this 60, 70 minute homage to all of that. And and it's kind of an interesting premise because for the most part, the audience is relatively, I wouldn't say passive because we actually have to pay attention to what's happening, but there's like the action isn't really on screen. Most of it's in the corner in the chat box. And that's what makes your film unique. Can you explain that a little bit to my audience who wouldn't understand? Because they haven't seen it yet. We want them to. (laughs) Right. So uh, in Twitch or in in a lot of these live streaming formats, um, not only do you have the ability to watch the the streamer, you know, in his face cam and his webcam and the gameplay that he's playing, but there's usually some sort of chat element where you can actually talk to him while he is – playing the game or doing whatever it is he's doing and not only can you talk to him but you can talk to other audience members so there's just like an open chat forum in these streams and so part of live scream is in the bottom left hand corner is a chat so you can see all the usernames and all the comments as they're you know coming in in real time as he's playing and he can see them so he'll call out certain people in the chat and talk to them and they'll talk back and um, and eventually, as the followers start dying and as they maybe dwindle down a little, you really get to know a handful of people more intimately in that chat. Um, there's a couple really main characters that exist in that chat that exist as, as lead characters in the movie, but they never really have any on-screen presence aside from words, which is something yep. that a lot of a lot of people have talked to me about, and they're like, how did you get me to, like, relate to people who don't exist? <laughs> uh, it, it, it's um, incredible. There was one character in particular, because at one point you're windled down to just two characters, and I won't get into because I don't want to spoil it too much, but the one character in particular starts having a really honest conversation with the guy that's on screen. And you know what? I don't think anybody in the audience was not beclept at that point. I felt it. We all felt very emotional. Yet all we've been doing for this one character has been reading his posts. That's it. Uh, you know, the, reading the comments thread. Uh, Queenie, it is so in your wheelhouse, this movie. It's ridiculous. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's so good. Um, so uh, now – let me ask you a little bit more about the chat box people. Is that you directly? Did you create that or do you have people in mind or did you write characters for those people so you would know what they would say in the situations? Um, so it was a combination of things. I did. So I, I made the, like the whole movie. So like everything it was written by me. Um, but when I, when I came up with the usernames, uh, I actually ran kind of this um, fundraiser sort of thing. Like when I first, 
before I, like right when I had written the script, I don't think I'd cast it yet. I hadn't started working on the levels. I didn't even know if I could make the movie based on like what I was trying to do. Like by the time the movie was finished, I was like, holy crap, I did it. Like I didn't even know that I could physically make a lot of this because of what I was asking of the actor, you know, what I was asking of myself with these games and stuff. And so, but anyway, like, Go, oh, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. This is six seconds away there. But um, I, I was going to say, when I was, you were on the panel with me, I didn't mean to, but um, you were even, after you, you were finished with the film, but you were even nervous about showing it, and it had already been accepted to a film festival, and you were like, weren't sure you would show it. You were like, actually, hesitant because yeah. you worry what people would think. Yeah, no, I, I remember that well, because that was about a month or a week before the premiere that we met, if it were maybe six days before, and I was really nervous because I didn't know if it would work. But um, as far as the chat goes, um, I ran like this fundraiser, and I was basically like, "Hey, if you give me three dollars on my coffee fund uh, or my coffee account, uh, I will let you pick a username for the chat." And I ended up having like twenty twenty submissions for that. Um, and that helped pay for, like, the film festival submission fees, or at least part of them. And uh, I, I ended up using all those usernames in the chat. So a lot of them were just sort of random, like, just, you know, names of people um, that the people had submitted. But a handful of them actually are kind of based on real people. Like, Lemonhead is my best friend, Greg. And he's actually in the movie. He's in the – when there's, like, there's the, the moment where the nine webcams are on screen. Um, mm-hmm. He is in the bottom middle. And that's him in real life. And basically everything Lemonhead says in the chat is something I think Greg would say. Uh, (laughs) And then Uramid is uh, Tiffany. She's in the upper middle in the webcam grid. And uh, she gets called out at the beginning, actually. He says, hey, Uramid, you know, I got that cup you sent me. Well, Uramid is our friend Tiffany, who is actually a Twitch streamer in real life. And... um, so she's in the movie, but she's also in the chat. And um, I don't think the things that she says are things that Tiffany would say, but you know, <laughs> she, is, she is in there as an homage. So basically every name in the chat has some sort of homage to somebody we know. Um, a lot of them are actually homages to other filmmakers, like our friends, the Johnson brothers. We have Eternal Ground, which is like their production company that's represented in the chat. Um, I, I recognize Mama's Boy. Mama's Boy would be Sam, Yeah. Right? Yeah, and she donated. So I don't think she gave me a name. I think she just donated. And I was like, what name do you want? I think I never heard anything. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll homage her in some way because she did donate. And then um, Dandelion Floor, that's Lisa Mkhitaryan. She helped produce Butterfly Kisses, but she also directed oh, yeah. and wrote uh, Spent, which was a, a comedy, a dark comedy that came out last year. So, yeah, there's if you look closely, there's a lot. Um and like Horse Creek Productions, like that's Tommy Fairclough and Robert Sobel's production company that's in there. So a lot of the Charleston filmmakers are homaged. A lot of gamers, all of my favorite gamers from Achievement Hunter, I think every Achievement Hunter has a username that's partially based on them. Uh, and then a lot of them are uh, game development companies. And, and what's funny to me is like, I never had it written in the script that he says Naughty Dog out loud because it's it's a visual pun. It's naughty, like, you know, knots and dog, D-A-W-G, I think. So, like, it's not spelled the way naughty dog is spelled. Um, but he actually improved like, thanks, naughty dog. Like, he said that in the movie, and that always gets a laugh. Which And it got a big laugh at Nightmares. And I was like, well, that, that tells me there's a lot of gamers in the audience, because that's, that's definitely a gamer joke. <laughs> and, well, I mean, you're the rest- 
the the audience was a huge audience for for that because it's a very large room. But what I thought was great is everybody in that audience was totally engaged with your film, and and the big screen just made the whole thing immersive. Like we felt like you know it was a lot different experience than let's say watching it at um, Scares It Cares, which had a small screen. I, Butterfly Kisses actually preceded your film there, um, which was kind of neat. Uh, but I didn't get to see it because I was paneling. It sucked, but that's another story. But, you know, I was really excited how everyone got your jokes and got the game. And as a non-gamer, I got this stuff. And But, you know, my, my daughter, though, she does play this stuff, uh, not the games you play, though she does know what was that Goodbye Neighbor. She tells me she plays that sometimes, which is some kind of horror story. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm like, really? <laughs> and, you know, she, of course, knows Five Nights at Freddy also. But she's into something called Roblox which is kind of like new life, but for kids, it's really weird. <laughs> you know, you make a little <laughs> avatar and then you role play. Like, it's like kids playing house. Like they would play house if they were playing in their backyard, but it's a digital world. It's very strange. And there's regular structured games too. So I've got a little bit of a dip dive into what, cause she watches these streaming videos as well. So when I'm watching it, I was thinking, what if my daughter was one of those people in the chat room? For this because it would be very possible and and mm-hmm. you know that's the that's actually part of the mystery is you don't know who the people in the chat room really are you think they might be girls you think they might be boys or you don't know their genders at all matter of fact I, the one character we were talking about i actually had the wrong gender on them until they said some things you know and i was like oh oh wow okay you know uh you it, the mystery of it and you play on the mystery too we won't get into how you do it but you do play on the mystery of who's actually behind the avatars and the chat room characters, you, you know, it, it added to the mystery. And yet, like, even my husband, who's not a gamer at all, was totally engaged with what was going on. And he said, wow, we're watching a movie. Basically, there's no movie. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But see, I watch this all the time. And, like, I think the reason I got the idea for the film was, like, I was, I mean, most of the Let's Plays I watch are over an hour. And I'm like, I'll sit and watch a guy play games for a straight hour. That's a feature. (laughs) There's a whole world of people that do that. Like, and people are like, well, why would you watch someone else play a game? I know that Queenie does some, watches some of these videos too, but you know, there's something about the camaraderie and the charisma of the person playing the game. Also, when you get really stuck, those guys, you watch them, they usually beat the level and you can go fix it yourself. Yeah. Uh, that's always good. So, uh, Queenie, I know that you do live streams on YouTube. Do you ever watch, like, gaming videos or live streams um, oh, yeah. on Twitter? Yeah. So, do you have a favorite? <laughs> you have a favorite? anything, we'll put them on. He's a big yeah. gamer. Like, right now he's playing Hearts of Iron. He's, <laughs> like, tactics and stuff like that. And- I joke that well, he's a I, megalomaniac in disguise. I, I wanted to give a shout out to my daughter's favorite um, live streaming gamer. Her name is Gamer Girl. She's in, from England. I think she's like 12 or 13 years old, and she's kind of a badass. Oh, wow. So shout out. <laughs> uh, you know, um, a lot of people I was talking to after your film, everyone was positive, and that made me so excited. And I, I knew, I knew even before I saw Frame One that you were going to win Best Director. The buzz about it was just 
too good. And I was so happy. Like I said, I felt like a proud, bloodied mother, you know, <laughs> watched you before <laughs> you were born, and now you've been brought out to the world for everyone to see. It's it's such a badass thing. Uh, but uh, a lot of people were comparing it to Unfriended, and I wanted to know how you felt about the comparison. Personally, I liked Unfriended quite a bit. I haven't seen Dark Web this year, but uh, do you consider yourself part of that, or are you really more of a found footage people because now they've embraced you? Yeah, I get compared to Unfriended a lot. Um, I'm not super big fan of those movies. Like, the first one was okay, and then the second one was pretty much, in my opinion, not good at all. Um, <laughs> so that's that's kind of my only stipulation is, like, when you get compared to something that people have mixed feelings about, then, then that's not the best PR move <laughs> because it's like, well, I didn't like Unfriended, so I'm not going to, like, live stream. But I think that that's not the best – that's not the most fair comparison. I would say that even oh, excuse me. even if you, even even if you're not into like gaming really, and even if you're not into found footage, I think that I wrote the story to hopefully be compelling and to hopefully be able to touch people who aren't in that world and to be able to relate to people who aren't in that world. I wanted it to be authentic to gamers. I wanted it to have a lot of Easter eggs, but I didn't want it to be one of those things where, oh, I don't understand any of this or, like, anything that's going on. Like, you have to be in this niche. The whole point was to kind of expose people who aren't in the niche to the idea of, oh, this is why people do this. Like, this is why people watch this. This is this is what my child is doing when he watches YouTube six hours a day. Yeah, um, no, that's so, what my child's doing. <laughs> yeah. So. so I wanted it to be accessible. Um, and then that round, like, yeah, I, I think as far as Unfriended goes, Unfriended is a lot more like, I, I feel like the term manufactured conflict comes to mind of like, a bunch of characters that really could just talk to each other, but they don't talk to each other. So that's why they all die because like they keep secrets from each other and all this stuff. Whereas yeah. like I went for, for more of just the visceral threat of if you lose a game, a, li- a life in the game, you're just going to die. Like or, or, your, or your friends will like, die, which is like worse. Or your friends will die. Yeah. 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 So it's, so- it's not like, yeah. <laughs> So let me talk about, because obviously, because, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily call I, I see why people do, do make the comparison. I don't think they're the same at all. I think they're very different. Uh, one of the things is, is there's a, you, to anchor your film, you have to have one, you have one person. And that one person really does anchor your film. You put a lot of weight on his shoulders. Can you talk about your actor? Because basically, he's the eye, he's the in for everybody watching he's the person we're watching him play the game like you would on youtube but he also has to move the narrative along so can you talk about like how, like like how you guys work together to create this character yeah um gunner willis is the lead actor and he really does as you say carry the movie he's the only i've been saying that he is the only character with a speaking part that's actually not true um at the very very end there is a character that has a couple lines um so there but he he primarily is you know the only one with a speaking part um so he is carrying the whole film and i when i first conceived of this film I kind of didn't know if I would be able to find an actor who would be able to do what I was asking, because basically I was like, 
huge, long, you know, 15 to 35 minute unbroken takes by yourself with no (laughs) scene partner, you know, and also with the physicality of as if you're playing a game with the charisma and just the nonstop organic feeling as if you're playing a game and responding to things in real time. I mean, it's a lot to ask a person. And then Gunnar just came in and made it look effortless. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I know he must have worked so hard in the three weeks that it took to memorize the script and everything. But at the same time, I mean, I really, he barely ever made a mistake he was so organic, even from his first audition, of just like, I just believed everything that he was saying. And that's just a natural talent that he has. Is He just says stuff, and you just buy into it. You, you never feel like he's acting. You never feel like he's trying to remember a line, like he's, you know, reaching in his memory for something to say, like it's hitting beats. It really just flows right out of him conversationally. And that's a testament to his talent. Um, as far as us working together, I think that the character that I originally wrote was a lot more like, I really wanted to go for a character that was just universally friendly and universally likable. I was not really wanting to take a risk with making him come off like a jerk in any way. Like I wanted you to really sympathize with him. Gunner is such a powerful personality, though, and I actually pointed this out to him when he was um, when he was rehearsing. I was like, "When you get scared, you get angry," and he's just like, "Yeah, I guess I do." <laughs> so it's like it's just sort of a natural reaction for when he dives into fear, anger comes with it, and and he has like a very loud, very like raw temper that kind of comes out when he's acting fearful. And I thought that was kind of interesting, and we ended up using it because I I do think it adds dimension to the character maybe more than I originally thought because Gunner is still so likable that he can pull off angry and afraid and likable at the same time. Um, so finding an actor that could do that was really cool as well. So how did you meet? We have a mutual friend named Michael Whaley, um, but I... I actually saw Gunner in a short film that was unrelated to anybody that we knew uh, at South Carolina Underground Film Festival last year. And I'd seen Gunner in Michael's work before, but I just, it, it was always ensemble stuff. So like nobody in particular really ever stood out to me. It was always just, you know, I was paying more attention to the movie and not really to the people in it. Um, but this movie that he was in, he was like one of the two leads and maybe even like, really the the lead that the audience was really supposed to connect to in this movie. And it was like a 25 minute long film that was really showcasing him. And I was like, he's kind of what I'm looking for. Like I knew that I wanted somebody in his age range and knew that, you know, I wanted somebody who kind of had this, you know, likable, friendly demeanor about him. So I added him to like my audition list and I reached out to him along with a bunch of other people and to audition and, put him through two auditions and then chose him after that. Well, that's fantastic. And how does he feel about the movie? I'm sure he's seen it by now, right? Oh yeah. He's definitely seen it. Uh, he's won a couple of best actor awards at other festivals for it, which I finally oh. was able to get to him because we, we don't live in the same town. He lives in Greenville, which is about three hours away from me. And when he came to mm-hmm. Charleston to film killer assistant, when we were at nightmares, I gave all my trophies for him to the producers. I was like, make sure Gunner gets these. <laughs> <laughs> and also here's some live stream posters for him to sign. 
Um, so I'll be giving those away tomorrow on Octopunk Live. Is Gunner Gunner Willis signed live stream posters? Only ten in existence. Um, but anyway, yeah. But yeah, I think he's all right with it. It's it's kind of hard to get a read on him sometimes because he's you know actors. Um, they just they 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 come, they do their role, they leave, and that's just kind of the nature of being an actor. They're chameleons. They're always moving on to the next oh, project. Oh, and, and, and they sometimes forget they even done a part, and then they win something. Really, I won. <laughs> before, I don't think you know, he. Like, I don't think he'll ever forget what I put him through. Um, <laughs> although I guess relatively it was a pretty quick process for him as far as like, you know, three weeks of work to be a lead in a feature. That's pretty, that's pretty brief, you know, for that type of role. Usually when you're cast as a lead in a feature, it's like a two month commitment, you know, it's just like a month of rehearsals and then a month of filming. And like we filmed this in two days. So it was really fast, but um, a, a big effort, big uh big thing to ask of him yeah so he's not the only one that's been winning awards for this thing because uh we're sitting there at the um you know i went to the awards festival because i knew a couple people that were up for awards on the on those lists uh and they called your name for best director and huge applause so what was your first did you did your mind go blank they say it happens when you win awards like that or what was your first reaction when they said hey your name and and you won time I'd won for best director um I I have been winning awards for live scream this summer but I have not ever won a best director award and Gunner gets a lot you know because he's he's the the star um but yeah I I was pretty surprised by that because I mean there was the other nominees were like really really established and really good directors so I was thinking like (laughs) Yeah, there's probably no way I'm the underdog in this category, you know. But um, yeah, it, I think it was really humbling, like to hear the applause, because I, like, I had kind of a cheering section behind me, like Chris Etheridge and Dana Noff, Noffy, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, were like sitting behind me, and um, and then of course I was with my husband and stuff. So, yeah, it was. It was cool. I my mind did go blank. I always, I mean, I was nominated for things. So whenever I'm nominated for things, I do kind of think about like, all right, if I win, like, what am I gonna say? And I just totally forgot as soon as I got out there. As as you are like that one in that one in particular. I was not that one in particular. Like I wasn't expecting to win at all. So I was like, oh, I definitely don't know what I'm gonna say for this. So, I, I, yeah, I, I was pretty blank. So I think I was just like, thanks for this award. Thanks for watching the movie. Bye. And then I, I got back to my scene. I was like, I probably should have thanked my husband who did the music and is in the audience. But And then when, like, Jason, I think, was thanking his wife, I was like, God, I should have thanked Austin. <laughs> oh, well. We'll, we'll get to I can thank him right now. <laughs> we'll get to him in a minute because, I, I mean, obviously – your own film there but this is actually quite a nightmares film festival and jason throws a the programmer is throws quite a bit at us for three days there's a pretty big lineup of films and i know that you saw a few of them can you talk about some of the other films that played there that you got to see yeah i uh i definitely saw a lot on I think Friday. I think Friday was my big film watching day. And then I caught a couple things on Saturday, but Saturday got weird because like I was on a panel and then we had live scream and then we had the awards. And then I think 
I don't remember what happened after that. Um, <laughs> I just yeah. know that every time I saw you after you won the award, you were sitting with some press dude doing some kind of circuit. So <laughs> I saw like two different groups of people at least. So there was only a lot of people know. to talk to. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, no, yeah. I, it, <laughs> so tell me what's on um, the films you saw. Do you remember? Yeah, I uh, so Friday I did a live. Um, that was a feature that was pretty cool. Um, it was probably like the only really scary feature that I saw. Most of what I watched was comedies because that's what I really gravitate towards. I gravitate towards a lot of like the horror comedies and stuff because the more hardcore stuff like trauma and stuff, like that's not really my thing. So um, I went to uh, Book of Monsters, which is probably my favorite feature of the weekend. It was really like this great female lesbian led actually that all, like all female cast um, from England. And it had like creature effects that were really cool. It was funny. Like it had heart, had a good mother daughter relationship at the core of it. Kind of reminded me a little of like a Jim Henson, British tragedy girls, or not tragedy huh. girls, um, the, fi- the final girls, which, which girl. kind of oh. had a, yeah, it had a similar, like, uh, mother-daughter, like, dead mother-daughter, like, relationship kind of anchoring it. Um, Queenie, as does that this sound like did. you wrote that screenplay? Pardon? Book of Monsters. It sounds like something, the kind of screenplay you would write, Queenie. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> trying to bring Queenie into it. And it was a comedy, <laughs> right? Because it also won a, it, it won award, yeah, it was, right? I don't remember what it won, but uh, it was definitely, I, I would say it was a comedy. I, it was more of a, it was a comedy in the sense of it was like a coming of age movie. It wasn't a comedy in the sense of like everything was a joke. Like it was actually more serious than I maybe expected it to be. But like Kill Ben Like, which I saw, that was definitely a comedy. Like that was just a straight comedy, although it had a pretty dark ending. But that was also from England, and that was kind of like a crime thriller or like a crime thriller comedy. Kind of had a Guy Ritchie sort of feel to it. Um, that was pretty good. And then uh, Alive, as I said, like, that was pretty good. That was, uh, like, a medical horror. But the great thing about that is it's really psychological and it had really good lead actors, particularly the guy who was playing the villain. So you're just kind of, like, wondering what's going on for, like, the whole movie. But you're, like, you're wondering, like, how did they get here? Like, what is this guy's motive? Are they going to get out? Uh, It kind of had the same slow burn as, like, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Like, I really felt like I had a lot of similarities to that, where you have this captor who says he's good, but there's something off about him that makes you wonder, and you kind of get the feeling like he's not going to let them leave because he's actually keeping them there. Like, he's not keeping them safe. Um, and then later in the evening, I did see the FB2 um, without having seen the FP one so I was very confused. <laughs> Um, but I did watch the FP1 last night, so now I'm caught up and like, okay, I understand a lot more. <laughs> I, I introduced the FP to Queenie this year, too, because we did a special screening right before I went down to Columbus uh, to see the sequel. So uh, so you, everyone in this uh, on this panel here has seen the FP. But before I get into the FP, because we do want to talk about that a little bit, obviously, I do want to say I saw Scott Shermer's The Bad Man which preceded the FP2, 
uh, which is uh, Scott Shermer, who's been on my show, by the way. Uh, he did Harvest Lake and Found, which I actually adore, and uh, Headless <laughs> and a few other really shock hardcore horror films. And he wins Best Horror Film. Those aren't really my bag either. I I love monsters. I love I, I, I love a lot of supernatural films, but I particularly love monster movies and films where people are hurting each other. Not like Eli Roth torture porn or saw. That stuff's kind of over the top. But like when people are being really truly mean to each other, like funny games or um what's it the strangers. That's a good example. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of put Batman in that classification of horror, where it's plausible, it could really happen, the people seem real. Um, Ellie Church, once again, I, you know, I always, I love Ellie Church. She shows up in everything, and but I always wonder, she allows them to do a lot to her in film. I've seen them do some of the most horrible, horrible things to Ellie Church that I'll never get out of my head. <laughs> You know, uh, and and she was up for best actress in the same category twice uh, at the festival because she's you know she's like an independent queen queen. But wow, uh, she she's transformed into a human doll in this film, and it's pretty messed up movie with a really freaky anchored villain uh, performance that just holds the whole thing. Uh, it, it, I, I, evil, evil clowns are always one of those things that I used to actually be afraid of clowns and I grew out of it, but I still am totally afraid, fascinated with evil clown movies. And this is one of the worst clowns I have ever experienced in any of these films. He's not a nice person. He's not even funny. <laughs> you know, he's not funny gallows <laughs> humor. He's just a terrible person. He is a bad man. <laughs> There's like no like <laughs> false advertising about this film. So shout out to Scott Shermer and congratulations again for winning best horror film at the festival. But my film, or I should say Jason Trost's film, because he's really the man behind the throne, that, uh, <laughs> the man who created it. But I, I, I do feel like excited that I got to help with this. The FP2, it was its um, third performance. I'm in the middle of an interview, but say hi. Hi, guys. <laughs> okay. Hi. She's going to bed, so she interrupted. See you. Good night. I just took her to see Frozen on Broadway for her birthday this last Friday. Ooh. So we had a whole uh, weekend in New York, and we went to the Harry Houdini Museum, which was I kind of a pleasant surprise. That. that looks cool. Yeah, it, it was all right. So we had a good time. It was a fun day, and, and it ended with a big Halloween party at a friend's house. So we had, I, I'm yeah. in her good graces for a while. The evil genius is satisfied <laughs> for a bit until her next sacrifice. But um, I digress. Where was I? I was talking about the FP2. So the FP2, first of all, was different than any other film, I think, playing at the festival because it wasn't a horror yeah. or a thriller. There was gaming elements, obviously, so it, you could put it, and it is aimed at gamers. Like some, even some of the music cues, if you listen, are totally aimed at gamers. Uh, the first movie isn't; it's also aimed at gamers, but this one is also aimed at filmmakers. Matter of fact, when we shot it, there was definitely like three different separate cliques that were there. Um, to do the shoot. One was people supporting Jason Tross, like friends and family and people in the industry that were like giving cheap time, right? And you have, and one thing, I, I'm, I'm very proud of how great the movie looked. I always knew it was going to look good, and it totally looks amazing. Um, 
Then there was the gamers that love the first movie, and they are on set helping out. Then there's us film geeks. <laughs> you know, there was that, but the gamers were very into this movie, and, and it was such a silly film. I mean, uh, did you get the opening? Do you have you ever, Michelle? Have you seen uh, Conan the Barbarian? Because I mean, he just like opens straight up Conan the Barbarian, Crom, and the Riddle of Steel. And so the guys in front of me, who was sitting in front of Jason Trost, just rolling the whole movie. Like, well, they clearly were the demographic, but as a person that wasn't <laughs> part of that demographic, get the jokes. <laughs> I know you were confused, but some of it should have been funny. I definitely enjoyed, like, the the humor. I, I would actually even say that having watched the first one now, I would say the second one is funnier even than the first, because I remember it really? was just nonstop. Yeah, like, the first one, like, it had its moments of, like, we're, we're going in on humor, and then, like, the whole kind of concept is, is funny. But I felt like it was played relatively straight. This one was just balls to the wall. Like, it was just, like, laughs a minute. Like, I remember the, it, it really was just nonstop. And then uh, KCDC was just, like, off the charts, too, in the sequel. So, like, if you like him in the first one, you'll really love him in the sequel because he was just even funnier. Um, oh, so yeah, he, I really. <laughs> he does anchor both movies pretty well, so you know, yeah. it, 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 it is a really nice guy and on set too. So that was really funny. Uh, it's funny because you know Sean Whalen has a cameo in the movie, and uh, uh, you know, and and a lot of indie film geeks like myself worship Sean Whalen because you know he he's literally a person who improvised in a commercial who broke into into you know broke into film because of like a small commercial right you know he, he, he's the dream that we all wish that would happen but <laughs> it's funny because they because in the cut in the movie it isn't even as funny as what he was doing oh my god like like you see me in the shot I'm actually they're shooting over my shoulder in that sequence and I it was so hard to keep a straight face like he was saying this stuff about like like beehives and the dead deer's carcass and really weird like stuff and so I'm looking at the people behind camera because I'm not supposed to look at him right and they're all laughing like you know <laughs> it's not fair <laughs> but I was like it was so fun to be like to listen to him like improvise he, he's a master so if you ever get super rich and famous Michelle or Queenie too or any of us because all of us want to be filmmakers we need to make sure we give Sean Whalen mm. all the parts because he, 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 he was a highlight on set. Uh, he's only in the movie for like five seconds. But, you know, it was a shout out to the first movie who where he has a very memorable cameo as well. Um, so uh, we have a new lead in this sequel. And her name is Talai Wickham, Wickham, Wickham which, and she's originally from Australia. And she really puts the accent heavy on in the movie. Like, like, she, like she doesn't hardly have an accent. You talk to her, you can hear it sometimes. But she, she really pushes it and, and makes this, like, foresty, sprightly, bush princess, right? You know, hiding in trees and looking at Jetro and falling in love. You know, a different character from our first, our first love interest in the movie. And, uh, so Talay Wickham is actually married to Jason Trost in real life. She was also the production assistant, the, the extra wrangler, and everybody else's hats, because as we know, 
none of this is we, we you know none of this is done in a vacuum husbands and wives work on film sets I let your husband uh-huh. is the music uh you know <laughs> we all work together uh so so she's in the movie but she also works a lot behind the scenes I could go into many, many stories. We're, I'm going to save most of them for our, our interview with, with Jason Trosse on the 18th of November when he calls in. But the movie itself is actually rather fun, and it was really a surreal experience, first of all, to see it in the audience that got it, which was great, because I wasn't sure how it was going to play to that crowd, especially to a group of people that hadn't seen it. Though there were quite a few people there that had. There was the person that actually had an I Love Duck shirt on, um, they saw it in oh, nice. uh, just saw a, sneak, a sneak preview in Sandusky, Ohio, a couple at uh, Colossal Con. And so they were there to see it again, uh, see the finished product. And that's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, it, it was so there were people that actually had seen the first movie. Uh, but it, I think it played pretty well. I mean, well enough that Jason Trost not only won Best Actor, he won Best Writer, which he was just rolling about for the rest of the convention. <laughs> he just thought it was hysterical. He's never been nominated, let alone win a writing award before. Uh, and um, Queenie, his speech was awesome. Like Michelle said, she went blank. Somehow, he, I guess it's because he's around L.A., he can give a speech. But he actually, even though he wrote and directed and, and chopped the film himself, when he won Best Writer, well, it was the Best Actor, he thanked his writer for giving him a part that he could do. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> yep, that's what he did. <laughs> we yeah, all he. Rolling. But see, what I told him though, like I told him, I was like, "But you're don't underestimate yourself because with the dialogue in that movie, it's like you've invented a language, kind of. Like you've really anchored this lingo that they all talk in. That's not easy. Like that's actually what? takes a lot of thought and a lot of effort. It's not just the language too, because I mean, there's the language, but the 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 look of both movies. I mean, the production mm-hmm. design. Even though I can tell you stories about the production design, sometimes it was just kicking a bottle into place, or he would just tell us go and do this, and we'd all make up stuff as we go along. But but the but the look has, is a very specific look that he kind of invented for the first film, and he bleeds it into this one. And of course, Sarah Trost, who's been on the show, Queenie and I got, were very lucky to get to her in our second year on Sexy Witches, um, and she basically invented a type of costuming style that other people are emulating. When I first told them I wanted Sarah on the show, because I actually wanted to have her on the show before Jason. I was like, you know, there's huge rabid fan base for your film, and they didn't believe us. Like, they're like, really? I'm like, yes, there are people. Yeah. There might be six of us, but we really love your movie, really and we will help you. <laughs> we did. We helped them. <laughs> I, you were in shock. Weren't we in shock when she said she had no idea that there were yeah, fans of hers? it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I I I'm uh, still you know, you know now they know <laughs> they know matter of fact <laughs> here's my <laughs> big thing Sunday morning we get up early and instead of going to the film festival Jason Talai and myself and my husband we went to the Columbus Zoo together Oh nice Yeah we went to the zoo We got to see the animals <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, there's there's a way famous manatee exhibit, and we get there and get this. Ooh. They were having a boo at the zoo exhibit, so there was candy too, uh, you know. So uh, 
we walked around and saw the polar bear. And, and it was actually because the Columbus Zoo is not just any zoo. It's actually a very, very famous zoo. And, you know, we're like, but it turned out that, like, Talai and Jason are huge animal fans. And I just kind of threw it at them. You know, we're thinking about going to the zoo early morning and catching the rest of the festival on Sunday. And they're like, okay. I'm like, yay. <laughs> so, so I'm geeky <laughs> fangirling. But at the same time, I'm having a great time hanging out, going to see the animals. And so it was Columbus was a very surreal time for me. But it was so neat. And, and Michelle, do you have any other things you want to say about the Nightmare Film Festival or about people you met before we move on to other topics? Um, I do. It was an interesting experience from the, the meeting people perspective because, like, half of us were sort of sitting around. We're, we're like the usual suspects, you know. It's just like Jeffrey Howe comes up to us, like, a couple, you know, hours into the festival. He's like, well, it's been weeks <laughs> because we all saw each other at Women in Horror. And before that, we all saw each other at Genre Blast. I mean, it's, you know, tis the season. But I did get to meet a lot of new people. Um, you know, meeting the the Trost Wickham uh, pairing was great. Um, I met Alice Neve Hammersley, who and 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 Tegan Moran, who did, and uh, Maud, whose last name I will probably butcher, so I won't try to pronounce it. Um, they were the team behind "You'll Only Have Each Other," which is a really oh. awesome short film. Um, and and from what Allison told me, I think I was the person who suggested "Nightmares" to her. Like I did suggest "Nightmares" to her, but I figured. She probably had heard of it elsewhere and like that my recommendation was, you know, preaching to the choir. But um, from what she seemed to suggest to me, I was, you know, my suggestion was the first that she had heard of it. So it was really cool for her to like this was, I think, Tegan's first film festival. I don't know if it was hers, but yeah, it was really surreal and really cool to be able to like share that experience with them. Um, particularly for a movie that good. And that movie has already gotten into like a ton of festivals and stuff. So you'll definitely be seeing them around um, more. Um, cool. I'm trying to think of other, oh, I guess like from, from other short films. So I saw this short film at Sick Chick Flicks Film Festival called Sell Your Body. And it's a shame I haven't gotten to meet that filmmaker yet because I remember it was my favorite, it was my favorite movie of that festival. I was like telling my husband about it, like on the way home. And I was so glad I got to show it to him at Nightmares. Like, we got to see it because it's it's all about, like, medical school debt as a character's motivation for um, doing something horrible, like, so she can pay off her med school That's bills. Real. And my, That's real horror. My best, yeah, well, my best friend is in med school, and she's got this massive amount of debt. And, like, the entire movie, all I could think about was her, was that, like, holy crap, like, she's sitting on like half a million dollars probably by the end of this worth of debt. And it's just like, what would you do? You know, if you didn't have like, cause in the, in the movie, like the character drops out. So she doesn't, she can't go like be a doctor and pay it off that way. Um, so she's like working at Hooters, just like a bartender and you know, she just can't pay it off. And like, Holy crap. Like it was really cool. Like I've never seen that used as a, a motivation, like in a horror movie before. So I absolutely love that film. So if you can see Sell Your Body on any uh, on any festival, I highly recommend checking that one out. Excellent. And um, once again, the venue itself, the Gateway in Columbus, is a really nice venue. Beautiful screens, beautiful seating. Um, 
the food was decent. I was kicking back Black Phillips the whole time I was there, which are these <laughs> cans of cider, which, um, you know, of course, The Witch is, a, I love that movie. So, and Black Phillips in particular. So, you know, those were perfect to oh, take yeah. around and go see screenings. Uh, I wish I'd seen more shorts. I only saw a few because they were in blocks. And so I would have, mm-hmm. I always like when, like your film actually had a short in front of it with a live music, which was kind of neat. I think it was Offerings, I believe the name of it was. Yeah. Yeah, Offerings. Yeah. Actually, it's funny because we were watching it. I wasn't sure if I enjoyed it or not, but after we sat on it, like my husband and I both agreed that it was really something different and we really appreciated The monster design is cute. Uh, so we, we like cute monsters and they're definitely cute monsters in that <laughs> one. And the live performance. Yeah, and the music was improv. Fun. That was crazy. Yeah. Like when when we were when we were doing the Q and A, and like the director turned to the musician and was like, "Yeah, you did a really great job. Like I'm glad with how it turned out." And I'm thinking, "Wait, he improv that? Like the director yeah, no, didn't did know what the take. music? We, the whole audience didn't know. We, we were like, "Whoa, really? Yeah. That was cool." <laughs> that was yeah, I mean, it was so on point. I figured, oh, he's just like. He's got his presets going, like he's just, you know, he's just acting out basically what the score is. But yeah, in the Q and A, it was revealed that everything. I mean, he had had the he had had the film before to like practice with, but the director had no idea, as far as from what I could understand. Um, the director did not know what the score was going to be, so the director sat down to watch his film be performed at nightmares and did not know what the score was going to be. And that's insane. So, like, that's so cool. <laughs> and, and th- there was little surprises all through the festival like that. And I really appreciated it. I will say, I wish more locals showed up. I, cause there was a lot of, yeah. like I said, I a lot of familiar faces there. Uh, it's weird though. I, you know, Dan Knopf was there and you know, her and I bump into each other all the freaking time. And I, I don't know how we miss each other. Uh, you know, so I, I there was a lot of people I knew and I didn't see or I just waved quick, quickly like Christopher Moore and I didn't get to have a chance to tie. But he was there showing one, his film uh, Gut Punched, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he always makes these silly over the top movies, except for uh, his um, his zombie film, which is pretty sad, actually. Um, oh, but um disengaged yeah i always think that disengaged has so much potential to be a feature i keep telling him he should make it a feature more than knob goblins either i kind of like knob goblins is short and to the point (laughs) get it over with but but like disengaged has got a lot of potential made it into a feature at some point in the future um so i'll look for that when that happens uh like i said i wish more locals came uh, so next time we're going to start, you know, bring a friend. If, you, if you're listening to the show and we're driving Columbus and want to see some independent films the way they were, God meant them to be seen on a good screen with good sound, which matters. Believe me, good sound matters a lot to me. Uh, and it was kind of neat to hear uh, Michelle's score through the big surround speak. And there was this gigantic, like, computer music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and it, it was, you know, Nightmares will be next year. They've already set dates. I think it's around the same weekend every year now. It'll be their fourth one. So it goes. If you have any questions, um, you know, you can talk to us. We'll send you links. Um, I want to thank Jace, both Jasons, Jason Trossen, Jason Tostevin, uh, for, for being gracious hosts. 
um, during the festival. And uh, Michelle, thank you so much for being on air uh, and talking to us about all this stuff. Uh, Before you go, two things. What are you going to do for Halloween? And plug your stuff. When's your next thing's happening? So I get to do that in the same question because I'm doing an Off the Punk Live for Halloween. (laughs) So if you go to Facebook.com slash Media. Um, that is basically where I accumulate all of my news for live scream, for future stuff, for, you know, anything that I work on gets funneled through Octopunk Media. And Iggy the Octopunk is our logo. So if you see a cute little octopunk with, or octopus with sunglasses, you know you've come to the right place. Um, but we're doing a Halloween uh, Facebook Live at 8 o'clock Eastern tomorrow night. And that's pretty much we're just going to hang out and talk a little bit about some upcoming live scream screenings that are happening this weekend and beyond. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about nightmares, more of my personal uh, journey through nightmares, less less maybe about, you know, the things that I saw. Um, And I also have some, like, video footage, so I might try to throw together some kind of vlog for nightmares as well. And the most fun part is that we're going to be giving away some horror games and some Gunnar Willis signed live screen posters to people in the chat. So if you come and hang out and maybe answer some trivia or post a picture of yourself in a costume, I don't know, I haven't decided yet, um, you, you may win some prizes during the special edition of Octopunk Live for the Halloween Halloween night. Make sure you send me the links so I can share them in various places. Uh, and that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, and once again, thank you, Michelle, for coming on. And before you get too big and famous to even come on a tiny show like mine, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, I could go, I knew her when, when she was gamer. <laughs> you know, now you're going to be a big old filmer, filmmaker. I mean, really, uh, do you have a, 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 you don't have to go into details, but are you thinking, are you thinking about your next movie? Yeah, I'm thinking about the next two, <laughs> which Excellent. is always a conundrum. Uh, yeah, so one of them, one of them is a sequel to Live Scream, and then the other is something completely different. So uh, it, it basically, it's I, I've been telling people that if Live Scream is my homage to my subculture of gaming, then the next movie is my husband's homage to his subculture of synthesizer musicians and EDM. So. Uh, we're, we're still pulling from our personal interests, but going a little bit more in the musical direction for the next one. So, yeah. Well, that sounds exciting. Once again, thank you, Michelle. Go take a nap because I know that you're going to be up for the next six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, till December 7th. <laughs> yep. And then you can really take a nap. So uh, a long winter's nap, as they would say. Uh, Yeah, that day, I'm going to see ghosts that day, so I don't get to sleep yet. But I don't get to sleep. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so good night, my dear. And thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Good night, ladies. Good night. So let's see. So that was Michelle, and that was just absolutely awesome. Like, didn't I tell you that that was going to be cool, Queenie? She's pretty awesome. And, and you know, she's young and having a really good streak right now. Let's hope this continues and leads to more movies and making the next film, which is what we always strive for, making the next movie, right? Yes. Keep on next going. Yep. Uh, before our next guest comes on, Queenie, what do you have to report from the West Coast? Oh, 
oh, you want to know, like, about what I did this weekend or, or last uh, yeah, weekend? Sorry. Or recap some of your stuff and then give us a quick review of Mandy. And then we Ooh. will go to quick music and so I'll bring my next guest on. Okay. Um, well, uh, this weekend I went to an awesome haunted house in the area called Georgetown Morgue. And, oh, it was so fucking fun. Like, it was a really legit operation. Like, they've been doing it for 30 years or something like that. It's definitely, like, one of those, this was, like, a family affair that grew into a bigger business. So, I loved it because I got to go behind the scenes of the haunted house and see how they run things. So, while we're listening to people get scared (laughs) on the other side of the wall, we're walking through, like, this tiny little cubby hole, you know? (laughs) They're showing us, like, where people get dressed in the back. And I'm like, this is even cooler than the haunted house. Because <laughs> I love that sort of shit, you know? I love how the Yeah, we're all peeking on creative <laughs> process instead of actually. Yeah. That was like, I have a terrible time at that at haunts, though. Like, I'll turn a corner, and there'll be some beautiful lighting. And I'm like, oh, look at the lighting. And they're like, that's <laughs> yeah. not what you're supposed to be focusing on. Yeah, yeah wow. like I was doing that shit, right? I st- always start the haunted house the same way because I always work myself into a thing. Like, <laughs> I always get so excited. I'm just, like, worked up. And so I'll always hide behind Ben to start with. And then by the end of it, I'm, like, dragging him through shit. Like, I want to see the next thing. I want to see the next prop. I want to see the next thing. You don't, you don't, you know, ben isn't one of those kind of husbands that throws you at the scare actor, right? No. I would have no, good. No, he knows I'd kill him if he did that. <laughs> you know you <laughs> would. He'd probably rip his throw out right in front of everybody. Yeah. Angry, we'll see. Yeah, like, let me deal with this on my terms. <laughs> let me process this. You fuck with that, I'll gut you. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's thought of it millions of times. <laughs> I'm sure he has. <laughs> All right, so and you saw Mandy, and you saw Mandy for the madness, and that's the big hot shit right now. Yes, I have. I have seen Mandy, and I, I didn't do it purposely for the madness, but I was like, you know what? I have the option to see Mandy. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it'll just give me points in the madness. <laughs> You rationalize when you're doing the madness. You rationalize everything you watch in terms of the madness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like there you go. Well, and, but it ended just, up being a surprise hit on the festival circuit. Then so much so that the distributors have rethought how they're releasing the movie. It's just such a weird little film, and it fits in that cool kind of niche market where you have Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage in a movie, but it's okay. <laughs> it works here. Because this world is crazy trippy bullshit. <laughs> the color palette is beautiful in this film. Like it's just so provocative, all the imagery. It might not be for everyone, but I love it. I love the reds and the purples. I thought that it was a really awesome way to kind of frame certain scenes and um, and I do. I love Nicolas Cage. He's great. <laughs> He's just being Nicolas Cage. Like, there's an entire scene where he flips the fuck out after she's been killed. It's just so good. <laughs> it's so it's good not the bees. <laughs> not the bees. Ah! Oh, sorry. I, I still, you know, I still never seen the Wicker Man sequel. I cannot bring myself to watch it from beginning to end. I've seen it all. Take it too seriously. Just don't take it too seriously. <sighs> Please. I don't. I don't take the first movie too seriously, but still, I don't know. <laughs> sure, right? All right. Anything else you need to report? Um, 
Ghosty Mandate's good. It's pretty. Ghosty Mandate's good. Great. Is awesome. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So let me put on music for a minute. I'm not going to play the whole song, but just enough to, like, me change my notes. And we'll bring on our next guest, the horror host with the most tonight. So be with you in Ooh. just about 30 seconds. right now. I absolutely agree 100% with what Jello Biafra is saying, but I guarantee you that Queenie and myself out there in sexy witch land, that we hold Halloween in our hearts every day, every week, and all year. Is that right, Queenie? Fuck you. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Halloween safety. Fuck yeah. And I would believe that our next guest is the same way. I mean, even more so because he hosts. He's a horror host and hosts the psychotronic show called The Haunted Hotel. I believe it streams on uh, Channel 57 and on the Roku, which is where I watch it. Please welcome to the show, Gruesome Graves. And for wild Facebook people that are maybe confused, Rob Graves is actually Gruesome Graves. Please welcome you on with the Sexy Witches, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Happy Devil's Night. And to you as well. So uh, you're on the line with two sexy witches tonight, myself, I'm the head huntress, and uh, Queenie, my sexy werewolf. And I believe you just finished your big Halloween episode this evening. Uh, actually, we're still going on. Uh, we Ooh. have one last program this evening that is playing right now. It's the War of the Worlds. And then we'll be back tomorrow starting at 2 o'clock, and we will run until midnight. And we will also have our Halloween special then. Uh, so you've been doing this. Uh, so for people that might not know the Haunted Hotel, uh, we've had horror hosts on here before. We have had Count Gordeval. I had um, Professor Mr. Lobo on the show before, who was, you know, we both were huge fans of Bob Wilkins growing up. Uh, and so what talk about your show, how you decided to become a horror host as yourself, Mr. Graves. Uh, of course, it's probably in your blood, like all of us. <laughs> and uh, what, where can they find you so they can watch your show that's happening right now as we talk? The easiest way to find us 
is if you are on Facebook, just type in haunted.hotel.56. That will bring you to my page, and you can find all the information you need. We are from Fort Wayne, Indiana, and if you are not in the area, you can stream us over the Weird Wide Web. (laughs) We are live Friday nights at 10 p.m., and we also have a few of our shows on demand on the website for the Public Access Channel as well. Well, excellent. Uh, so, uh, we're tonight is our Halloween episode. And like I said, I always invite a horror host because if anybody knows about Halloween and classic horror and the celebration of that, it's a horror host, <laughs> and uh, especially one as as very uh, eclectic as you do because your show is, runs the gambit. You don't just show horror; you also show, like I say, you're showing more of the world right now. Uh, that's why I called it more of a psychotronic show than an actual scary movie show you're much more closer to what i would i was watching growing up on cable television and uh, and uhf channels when you know back in the day queenie when i was old you know young and (laughs) and silly we didn't have cable we had uhf actually (laughs) three channels (laughs) we had that too didn't we uh, yeah, what's well, showing our age, our, our generation and gap is starting to show here. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, so uh, so, what got you started in this uh, uh, to open the haunted hotel and invite people to watch films with you? Basically, I grew up in the 1960s, and during that time, there was a big resurgence of classic monster movies. Uh, I was classified as a monster kid, you could say. Yeah. I read monster comics. I collected monster trading cards, read monster stories, Dracula, Frankenstein, and, of course, the Bible for any monster kid, Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Oh, yeah. Uncle Foray. Uncle Foray. We miss him. We miss him. Very much. Loved this Growing up, ever since I saw my first show, I was about six years old. I watched The Birds. Mm. Terrified me. But I realized a few days later I enjoyed being terrified. (laughs) So I started to search out more and more of these programs. And like I said, back then we had three TV channels, so (laughs) there wasn't a lot to find. Early in the 1970s, we finally had our own local horror host. His name was Asmodeus. He was a vampire, and his show was called Psycho Cinema. A few years went by. He went away. Then in the early 80s, we had another host come on by the name of The Shroud, and his show was Nightmare Theater. And I always enjoyed these two hosts because they catered more to my feelings of horror. They didn't come on and make jokes all the way through the show. They didn't do a lot of comedy. They were more of a serious presentation, and that's what I enjoy doing myself. So I thought, what a great gig this would be. I get show monster movies, talk to people that are in do the same things I am, But no one knew how to go about it at that time. My parents said, there's no money in this. There's nothing you can do with this. You need to 
go get an education and do something else. <laughs> so basically, it got put on the back burner. Then in 2012, I discovered a convention for fellow monster kids called Monster Bash. Ah. It's a three-day weekend in Pittsburgh, and I guess it had been going on since the late 90s. So I decided, I'm going to check this out. Went, had a fantastic time. Met one person in particular, and her name is Penny Dreadful. Uh-huh. Totally know actually, her. Actually met Guru first. He came bouncing down the hall, as I put it, like Scooby-Doo on a sugar rush. <laughs> Introduced himself, asked me if I was having a good time. Told him, said, we don't have any hosts at home. We had the syndicated hosts go through. We had Elvira. We had Wolfman Mac. But uh, since the late 80s, we had no one we could call our own. So speaking with Penny, I was asking her, I said, how did you get started in this? And she was very, very helpful. She explained, do you have public access in Fort Wayne? And I said, yes, we do. She said, go there, tell them what you want to do. So I, I went down there, explained to them what I was looking to do, and they enthusiastically got behind it. So we started off 2012 on Halloween night with our first production with Dracula with Bella Lugosi. And we have been going on ever since. Uh, this Halloween will be our seventh. So we are looking forward to having many, many more after that. And I'm sure you will have many, many more. And even if you didn't, you would still probably be still watching horror films and and, and movies and Halloween. Because, uh, you know, I I embrace Halloween. Queenie embraces Halloween for lots of reasons, partly religious, partly because we just love the whole season. It's general. What, what, what do you like about Halloween? What draws you to do this stuff besides just it looks like a lot of fun? I mean, the movie, you said you like to treat the movies with respect and not joke as much about them. What endears you to these films? Uh, basically, trying to find them growing up. I would search the TV guide and try to find the late night movies. Uh, I was drawn to it because they seemed to resonate with me. Um, I was counted of the outsider, almost like the Frankenstein monster. Uh, while the other kids were watching sports and playing sports, I was, uh, like I said, reading famous monsters of Filmland, uh, trying to figure out how can I watch these films, where can I find these films at, asking for an 8 millimeter movie projector for Christmas so I could <laughs> buy the short films from the back of Famous Monsters. That's and just cool. basically growing up, and I also had the opportunity to basically watch the Hammer films. They started uh, coming over here in that time frame, so I was able to go to a lot of them at the local theaters. And from there, it just grew. I uh, wanted to find out all I could about it, and not just watch the movies. I wanted to understand the making of them uh, the practical effects I am a big practical effects man so much more than uh, CGI and one of my favorite films 
today that I still think ranks better than anything CGI is the original King Kong. Well, that, that was my, probably my, my first film I ever saw. Uh, you know, uh, you know that film. It's amazing how many people mention that film as being like a, a cornerstone of 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 interest. Uh, you know, my daughter too. I was talking to my nine year old daughter, and we were listing off top five favorite horror films I've showed her. I've been showing her stuff. You know, she's seen the Universal stuff, anything like that, right? But I started showing her a little edgier stuff. I showed her Lost Boys. I showed her The Shining this year. She actually understood it, which was kind of mind blowing, <laughs> you know. And uh, you know, I, but she mentioned King Kong, like like the 1933 King Kong. Like even today, it was all the CG and and all the computer and tech. That film is still anchoring people to the genre. Why do you think that is, Queenie? Or and and and, and Mr. Graves, what do you think? still endures people to King Kong in particular? I think a lot of it has to do with just the storyline. Uh, a lot of the like older Kong. films had storylines. Uh, it just wasn't, you know, let's see how bloody and gory we can make it. Let's actually have a story behind this, something that is driving the film. And it, and and I will be the first to admit, <laughs> I cry at the end of King Kong every time. <laughs> Every time I see that poor guy go down the Empire State Building, it just tugs at my heart. And I think that's what a lot of it is. It, you get invested in these creatures. Like I said, the Frankenstein monster, uh, Lon Chaney's Wolfman. You know, he didn't ask to become the Wolfman. He's my daughter cried at the end of Wolfman. Uh, I showed it to her again recently, and she didn't want to watch it again because she said it was too sad. That was actually understandable. Yeah, it is. It is a very sad story. That's probably why it's endured because it's got that beautiful tragedy element. Well, I think of like I said, of all the Universal films, I think it's the one that holds up as a movie the best. I think it has the best story, the the best cinematography, uh, the the sound is better. I mean, uh, granted, a lot of that is age. Like, but Dracula doesn't have the greatest sound even when it was restored. Uh, You know, uh, it's such an old movie, but so is King Kong. But you know, the moment that captured my imagination wasn't King Kong himself, even though when he first grabs Fay Ray and he has that big smile on his face and you're just like, oh my god, big big gorilla monkey out to grab the girl and run off with her, right? It was when they, the, the, the men charge after her and they see the Stegosaurus for the first time. The Stegosaurus is what caught my attention because I had never seen anybody try to perform a dinosaur like that on a sh- on before. And, you know, I'm a little kid, and we're really into dinosaurs when we're four and five. And there, there it is, a dinosaur on, state, on, on camera. And I think that's what – and then that was it. I was hooked. I was hooked on stop animation for the rest of my life, for that matter. I'm still hooked on stop animation. <laughs> And stop animation, once again, will still look better than any CG movie a hundred years from now. Oh, of course. Uh, Ray Harryhausen. Jason uh, and the Argonauts. How, you, how can you, you can't argue with that. The end fight with the skeletons. Uh, you know, how long I love, did it take him to do that? <laughs> it, there's, um, I, my, when I went to the drive-in as a kid, the film that I saw of his, and I got to see two of his films first run, and I'm very honored to that. One was Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, uh, which has a phenomenal 
uh, Sabretooth Tiger at the end of the movie. And that, mm-hmm. to me, has always been one of my favorites. And then I got to see Clash of the Titans, which I saw like three times in the theaters. I went, kept going back to that. And one of the reasons why is I knew that was going to be his last movie. You know, so, I, you know, my 10-year-old me was like, gotta see the Pegasus, gotta see the Pegasus. You know, that's all I cared about was the Pegasus. <laughs> Uh, you know, that and the Kraken, which is a terrifying creature, uh, you know, uh, and the Medusa sequence is still freaky to this day, uh, you know, and, and, and all of this is, yes, it may not be Halloween, but it definitely is monster. And I think uh, Halloween and monster go hand in hand. Oh, definitely. Definitely. You know, now, for um, somebody like me, this is my Christmas. <laughs> it, it is this my is Christmas. my favorite holiday. You know, I, I like Thanksgiving, too, because you get the, you know, candy and then a big meal. And then Christmas is fun in its own right. But that's because we, uh, like, Queenie and I like to, like, binge really dark, dark movies <laughs> in that time period. So uh, we're, we're actually have our Christmas episode is going to be devoted to Krampus this year uh, <laughs> as a character, mm-hmm. not as a, a, a film. Uh, though I'm sure the film will come up. It's come up many before. forms of Krampus. <laughs> There's many forms of Krampus, yes. Uh, matter of fact, um, I'm going to post on my I, – I, here's a big heads up for the madness. I'm going to give a freebie tomorrow where I'm going to post a, a, a film to stream, and I'm going to show this really creepy stop animation uh, nutcracker from the 70s that has really, really creepy, creepy, creepy thing. I, I'm going to post that so you can watch that tomorrow if you're – so look for that on the Madness page. I'm going to pin it to the top because I've been pinning Halloween specials, but I want people to see this Christmas special to show that. It's terrifying. Stop animation can yes. be totally scary. Ooh. It can be creepy, uh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I, this stop animation excites me to no end. Even Rankin and Bats, I give a pass to sometimes, even though they cheated a little bit. But, you know, once again, King Kong was only six seconds, six frames a second. And then you get to Mighty Joe Young and Ray Harryhausen. And he's up to 13. Ooh. And then he gets up to 32 in the sequence at the end of the movie where he rescues the kid from the fire. Uh, you know, you start to see, like, this evolution of greatness. Anyway, I'm digressing. I'm sorry. See, you got me going on stop animation. You know how that happens. Uh, so let's get back in focus. Halloween focus. Um Queenie, do we have any questions mm-hmm. for our, our classically trained horror host over here? How many classical black and white horror films have you seen? Oh. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I guess I'd have to say a lot. <laughs> 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 Look, I've seen uh, before. <laughs> um, since I've started the show, I've seen so many more that I never thought I'd get the chance to. Um, I wow! <laughs> Just like, all, like I said, all I can say is a lot. Uh, and so far, I've enjoyed every one of them. Do you have them. any favorites? A big pardon? Do you have any she favorites? Do you have any favorites? Uh, Besides, I have. Let's leave, let's leave the Universal Moot Monsters out of this right now yeah yeah we, that's we, the answer. like anything but universal because okay. i want to hear what your other choices are right. yeah like most okay uh in no particular order <laughs> okay that's going to be hard leaving universal out um well we know that everyone loves those 
they got a they got a soft spot in all of our hearts here. That's so. my very. I will just say my very top Universal favorite is the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh well, it's awesome. Yeah. And I've great. had the opportunity to meet Rico Browning and Julie Adams at Monster Bash. So I got to meet Rico a, Browning. And and did you hear they were going to finally do a biopic of Mil- uh, a documentary about Millicent Patrick? Nice. Uh, it's so it's about overdue. time. So yes, fucking it overdue. is. Um, Queenie, Millicent Patrick yes. built the creature, but Wentmore, right? Was it which Wentmore is it? I always forget. There's like several of them. The Westmore family. The Westmore get it's credit Bud. for it. Yeah, it might be Bud Westmore. He's the patriarch of the Westmore family. Uh, he got credit for it. He he goes on to do Star Trek. I mean, he's a good he's a good makeup artist in his own right. But Millicent Patrick didn't get any credit initially for her creature design, and now she's gonna finally get the due. Like she's a monster girl. There they were monster girls back in the day, and people didn't even know they were there. Long overdue. I will definitely be watching that. Yeah, I'm so excited. They they announced it a couple uh, a week ago, and I looked at that. I'm like, yes, finally! I posted about it too because I, I I've been a huge fan of hers. Like, because the creature, I would say of all the makeup, I would say her makeup's even better and holds up to this day better than Jack Pierce's Frankenstein. Uh, you know, I would agree Jack with Pierce, that. You know, yeah. I mean, Jack Pierce's Frankenstein is iconic, but I've never felt it was very real to me. There's something about the creature as he moves and he glides in the water and the look on his face. I actually rewatched it uh, when I was at Nightmares Film Festival. It was playing on a loop in the bar. So I sat through one full sequence of it uh, and rewatched how good it is. You know, um, so yeah, okay, so we'll give you a pass. It's universal, but I totally understand. Uh, when I was at um, San Diego Comic Con this year, they had a universal pop up. Store. And this year, instead of the big three monsters, their main focus, and this was so exciting, was the creature and the Metaluna monster from this island Earth. And I bought oh, the Metaluna monster nice. T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so I was so excited because it's nice to hear. Because yeah, the, I shouldn't have ruled out Universal completely, Queenie, because there are some unusual ones that pop yes, up. There like are the creature. And this island Earth are, are two of my favorite monsters from Universal, and people forget about them. So, all right, getting back to your question. Uh, yes, the more, more, more. Original, <laughs> the original, uh, Gojira or Godzilla, before they brought Raymond Burr in and Americanized it. I think the original Japanese film is a much better film because it's also it makes really more depressing. sense. It's sad. Oh, on many levels. But it makes more sense uh, if you watch does. the two of them together. There are a lot of oh. things that happen in the American version that where did this guy come from? How did this get here? What's going on? And they're all explained in the Japanese version. Well, and the ending has no significant sacrifice or impact when the guy stays down in the water because they cut the whole subplot out. About the relationship mm-hmm. between him and the two, uh, her and the two, the two scientists, because there's a lot of sexual tension and questions going on between them in the Japanese version that's completely gone. In the in the white, <laughs> I just saw the white the white version uh, with my daughter because she's she's still not quite able like foreign films subtitles are still too quick for her. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she's, she's at a, you know, she reads, she reads at a, literally at a third grade level. <laughs> so, you know, she's still, she can almost do it, but not quite. So we watched the Raymond Burr version and I'll just like, I don't think it's a bad movie. Like I think, cause I, I it was the first version I saw too. So I, I can't, but there's just so much important story that's not there that they just leave to where they just go to a white guy staring off into nothing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's what Raymond Burr spends half the movie staring or laying on a bed and staring. I mean, that's it. That's what he does, right? <laughs> so. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. I think he was getting ready to play Ironsides because he didn't move a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, but, so, an- good, Jira. Do you have any other one? favorite kaiju that you often go to? Oh, uh... I would have to say probably Mothra. Uh, I I I I particularly my favorite of the color Godzilla is is um is the I think it's the fourth one. That's uh, the one where Mothra's in it. Oh my gosh, what is it? Uh, I want to not Monster Zero, the one before it. Uh, oh, Gidra, the three-headed Gidra, monster. Gidra, the three-headed monster. Absolutely, my yep. favorite kaiju finale of any movie. I, it is hysterical. <laughs> We just played that last week. <laughs> Yay. Uh, that, Queenie, that's the one where Mothra tries to negotiate a peace between Ghidra and Godzilla for the good of the world to fight the three, the, I mean, or was it, no, Rodan. It's Rodan, it's right? Rodan, yes. It's Rodan, Rodan and yeah. Godzilla. So, Mothra is like, he's, he's like a peace giver. He's like negotiating a peace. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the Peanut Sisters in the corner Interpreting what the monsters are saying to each other—it's—it's—it's it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> That's pretty fun. I love it. Uh, I, I, another, I love that. Another, Go oh, ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, we have a uh, second delay, so it's fine. Keep going. Okay. Another one is the fog, the original Ooh. John Carpenter's. You know, I haven't Excellent seen that movie, movie in all the way through in 15 years. Oh, you need to. That's, uh... I should fix that. I really should. <laughs> what about you, Queenie? And... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-oh, she's younger than us. We got a schooler on the on some hey, carpenter I'm not here. I know, I know. I... That's just one of his earlier films. A lot I of people miss it. It's true. Keep... Mr. Graves, keep on going, sir. Okay. Uh, of course, I have to mention Night of the Living Dead. Well, I mean, you can't. It, it's funny because, like, I've been watching a lot of independent films this year, and I've noticed how many people, all levels of movies from every era, has somebody, you know, watching a black and white television or watching a version of Night of the Living Dead. I think one person, one I watched was actually watching the Tom Savini version from the ni- early 90s, I think it was. Late eighties, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, almost always, and my my husband walks in and goes, "You should make that a bonus point for next year's madness." And I'm like, "I just might." And then he's like, "Why are everybody watching Night of the Living Dead?" I go, "Well, because it's awesome, but also it's public domain, <laughs> so I mean, you can afford it." Uh, but that film is important, anyways. I mean, as a horror host, and you understand the significance of that film because that film. The uh, horror host introduced that film to the world. It was in that box. They were, they, there's this infamous box in the 70s 
or a syndicated box, and that's a lot of horror hosts get this box of movies, and it was in that box. And and the you know so I, how do you feel about it as a as a as a horror host? Um, explain to because I would always think I always feel that film's almost sacred in some way because it changed everything. Oh, it it did. Uh, it's it's interesting to to watch that because everybody says this started the zombie revolution. Mm-mm. But no, it just started the revolution. <laughs> You have to understand, though, they weren't zombies. They were called ghouls in that in the first movie. Nobody seems to say, well, George Romero, zombies. I said, yes, George Romero, zombies, okay. But they were no, never called zombies because at that time, zombies were the dead brought back to life by voodoo powers. So these were ghouls <laughs> because in the olden times, a ghoul was somebody that came back from the dead and ate the living. So George said, we're going to make these ghouls. Also, they said, it was simply done. Uh, A few friends got together and they said, let's make a movie. What are we going to do? Horror sells. How are we going to do this? And they, they came up with the entire thing. The original title for the film was Night of Anubis, Anubis being the Egyptian god of the dead. But he said nobody understood what it meant, so he, so he had to change it to Night of the Living Dead. It made a huge impact. A lot of places refused to show it because no one had seen anything like that before. One of the interesting I... things when we go to Monster Bash is it is very close to Evans City, which is where a majority of the piece was filmed. And we even go to the graveyard where it was shot at. And I like to walk around in costume and freak people out. <laughs> well, um, there's an amusement park not too far from there um, in, outside of Pittsburgh. It's in uh, Milford, which is right next door to Monroeville, which is where the, um, the, uh, the mall from Dawn of the Dead was. Kennywood, it's called, and it's literally like walking into an amusement park from 1928. It's got the oldest Tunnel of Love ride in the world. The the Woody, the oldest Woody there is from 1918, and has the first double locking track in the world. I mean, literally, it's a museum, and uh, they always do huge Not of the Living Dead shoutouts through there. Uh, you know, I, I I cannot stress enough how much people should go to Pittsburgh and, and, and give them their money right now. Do that. Go give Pittsburgh your money. They need it. They need love. And there's so much wonderful things to do there. Um, there's the, the Monroe Mall. There's the Living Dead Convention, which just concluded. Um, horror hosting started there. Uh, Chili Billy was from Pittsburgh, and he's a very famous horror host, and he did a lot of yeah. from, uh, he He's a, set the foundation for a lot of people. Uh, and you also have, of course, the Carnegie Museums are there. Uh, there's so much to do. And the Primati Brothers, the best sandwich in the United States. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, go go give them your money and give them their love. There's lots of art there. And if you love horror, Pittsburgh's where it's at. So, okay. Good. Keep... Something to do at next year's bash. Yeah. No, I can tell you all about I love going to Pittsburgh. Everyone goes, why are you going to vacation on Pittsburgh? I'm like, you guys don't know. It's great. 
Uh, so, you know, look in your own backyard. You'll be surprised what you find there. So, um, now let's move a little farther because clearly you love the classics. I mean, you're going to obviously you've deep dived into Hammer, I'd assume. Uh, you know, we're, we're huge fans of Oliver Reed here on Sexy Witches. Uh, so, no, but I wanted to go in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I wanted to, speaking of Oliver Reed, go into more extreme territory. Uh, Queenie, in particular, loves extreme horror, like really extreme horror. We're not going to talk about French New Wave and, and that stuff right now, but I do want to talk about 70s. Because the 70s was a change. After, before, it was always like before Night of the Living Dead and after Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> you know, and after Night of the Living Dead, we started having less horror films being aimed at families and kids, and now more of it's being pushed towards the adults. And it's starting to, and they're starting to advertise that in adults, and you're starting to see them more in grindhouses. Now, do you have any films from those eras that you particularly like to watch? You may not show them on your show, because I notice your show tends to be more classics, but do you have any uh, films from the 70s? I love the 70s. That's why I brought it up, actually. <laughs> but uh, what, uh, what, what films, do you have any classics there that people should see? Oh, I don't think we do. Uh, basically, we're just uh, public domain is what we have to draw from at this present time. So I really don't look that far ahead. Like I said, uh, mm-hmm. um, I don't think this was the 70s, but uh, Creep Show is one of my favorites. Oh, well, that's an 80s film, but yeah, a lot of people like that one. <laughs> and like I, like I said, The, the Fog. Um, a lot of the things I can remember from the 70s are um, finally seeing the Hammer films. Uh, I, myself... I don't go in for the slasher films. I'm not a big uh, Freddy Krueger kind of guy. I, I've i watched them. It's just not my cup of tea, and I don't I don't mean to disparage them or anything. That, that's just not for me. I don't watch a lot of slashers either. I've watched some. I did see Hellfest in the theaters this year and was pleasantly surprised, but that's because as a scare actor – it's phenomenal, like the fun house that they design and all the monsters walking around. And there's actually people I know in the film. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of neat. So, That's but, but yeah, no, as a rule, I always joke that I was classically trained because I didn't really get into modern horror until 1988 with um, Freddy Krueger's Dream Warriors, which is still one of my favorite movies. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that kind of opened my eye because I always thought slashers were all the same. Because they looked all the same, you know. And, you know, when I'm a young, impressionable ten-year-old, and I'm still watching science fiction. You got to remember, I was four when Star Wars came out, and Logan's Run came out that year too. I saw both those films in the theaters, and that really warped my training. And my mom, who was, and my dad were both science fiction nerds. My mom was in the first. I always tell this because it's so cool. My mom was in the first 100 people of the Star Trek fan club in the 60s. Uh, you oh, know, wonderful. I have. I, I have a shooting script from, from that was given to her um, in in my collection, and it's pretty of Star Trek. It's the real deal. Got it signed by uh, Bill Shatner and George Takei recently. Uh, it's like one of my prized possessions. So I was my parents were showing me this stuff, and and I put Universal to the side. But uh, let's get talk about Hammer versus. Universal. I also want to throw out American International in there because people tend to do the Hammer versus Universal, but American International is right in there with these guys. So shout out to them. That would be like Mario Bava 
and Black Sunday and things like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really, I love that stuff, by the way. Uh, Black mm-hmm. Sunday is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I, I think it's just a beautiful film in period. Like, you know, the whole witches. I, I'm, and we're sexy witches and Barbara, you know, Barbara Steele is the ultimate sexy witch, right? So oh, Barbara uh, Steele, yes. Yeah. So, but let's get back to Hammer. And um, I always wanted to ask someone that really knows their stuff. I always say that, and this is controversial, that the Hammer version of The Mummy is a better film and scarier than any of the Universal films and is definitely better than the Mummy movie. I know that's controversial uh, to say. But are we I, talking the, the Boris Karloff? Yeah. Imhotep, or are we talking Lon Chaney's Karloff, Karloff? the Mummy, but I like the, ha- the Hammer movie that came out in the, in the 60s, the color one, is absolutely one of the scariest versions of the Mummy I've ever seen. And I've never seen a better film, and I think it's better than even... It's better than any of the modern mummy movies with Brandon Fraser. Let's just put those away. <laughs> They're cute, but you know, whatever. Uh, You're looking you know. at action adventure versus horror. And yeah, I mean they're cute. Like I said, they're totally cute, but that's that's another story. But the but like a lot of people really love the Universal Mummy, and I understand why. And and the transfer, the Blu-ray transfer they did a while back is absolutely one of the most stunning i didn't realize how beautiful the film really was until i saw it cleaned up uh and but i actually think the hammer movie is the better film and a lot of people are like how can you say that it's boris Karloff and jack pearson is best and i'm like i know i know um there's this moment in the hammer movie where they they crash into a mud puddle and and the mummy comes up out of the mud and the rest of the film not only do you have this mummy, but he's encased in mud the whole time. He looks something out of like a Fulci zombie nightmare. And, um, and so I always feel, I always think about that movie more than even the universal one. So um, do you know which film I'm talking about? And, and um, since you're the hammer expert here. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have 1959, The Mummy. Yep. Christopher Lee is The Mummy. Peter Cushing. Yeah. Is his, oh, God. Uh, John Banning. Yep. Excellent film. Excellent film. Yeah. Uh, Lee uh, and Cushing, I, uh, best friends. Uh, they first met in 1957 with Curse of Frankenstein and just hit it off right away. Said that during downtime, they would amuse each other by doing quotes from Looney Tunes. <laughs> they were both huge fans of the Looney Tune cartoons. And well, who wouldn't be? <laughs> oh, like, yeah, you can't you can't beat them. <laughs> no, you really but, can't. I, I I love those so much. But you know, that's another that's another episode. We can talk animation August. We usually save those talks for August. Um, but um, <laughs> so, uh, but am I wrong to say that it's a better movie than the Universal, or is it like comparing apples and oranges? Because everyone goes, "What's the best mummy?" And everyone gets. I actually get people that get mad at me. And I say I like the Hammer movie more, and I'm not sure why. I mean, there's room for both, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, it's not like I'm throwing Boris Karloff under the bus. I couldn't. He's huge. Uh, so, <laughs> now, if you really want to look at it, uh, they're two different stories. They're still the mummy comes back to life, but you have Boris Karloff as Imhotep, and then you have Christopher Lee as Karis. 
So I think the Hammer film is scarier because Christopher Lee stays as the mummy the entire time. Where with really Boris Karloff, even though he is, comes on as Imhotep to begin with when he steals the Scroll of Thoth, he comes back as Artist Bay. And even though he is very menacing, and especially you know, his eyes and the way Carl Freund filmed that, the cinematography on that is very good. But still, you have Christopher Lee as the mummy the entire time. So there's more menace. There's more frights, I think, with that. So I, I can see your point very well. Uh, you know, it is, of course, it's Christopher Lee. And I always got to remind myself that the guy under the mud is Christopher Lee, who's terrifying in his own right as a human. And I mean that in the most fascinating, like, he, I, he was absolutely, I, one of the dream things I want to do is that when I ever get to go back to England, I would love now, um, you can read his file, because he's no longer with us, unfortunately, and find out what he actually did when he was a Nazi killer. Because he was. <laughs> the man could kill you for real. <laughs> There's no joking about that. Um, but he brought it to the table every time. And I've loved him. I think, what, Christopher Lee, every performance I've ever seen him in in my entire life, I loved. Even if the movie wasn't good, he was. Right? <laughs> so, you know, Mr. Graves, you're popular. You know why? We have a caller. Uh, oh, well, hello. <laughs> I'm going to bring him on, all right? So hold on just okay. a second. Hello, 714. You're on with the sexy witches. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Hello, hello. Ah, hello, hello. This is um, Mr. Graves. This is actually our L.A. correspondent and my cousin. He's my partner in crime at San Diego Comic-Con this year, um, Aaron Kogan, and he's a huge geek like the rest of us. Hello. Say hello to horror host Drewson Graves of the Haunted Hotel. Hello, hello. I've been listening with great interest, and I had a little uh, mummy tidbit I wanted to throw into the conversation. Oh, please do. Uh, I'm always interested in that. I uh, had the pleasure of uh, attending uh, a a reading and uh, signing with Clive Barker a number of years back, and he was talking about how he was on the Universal lot and working over there, and uh, after everything, when he was doing the signing, I said, that is amazing that you're on the Universal lot. Are they going to let you play around with the classic Universal monsters? And he said, unfortunately, no. Due to the success of uh, the then-new Brendan Fraser uh, Mummy series, uh, that stuff was locked up and he wasn't going to get to touch it. But he did tell me that he had written a homoerotic Mummy script. And I just went, oh, God, what are we missing here? That, That sounds so cool from Clive Barker. And uh, as far as I know, he's never done anything with it yet, but fingers crossed, someday we might see it. Well, I mean, that that's a whole other, you know, avenue of, of horror we can, there's, you know, go down. But um, <laughs> Mr. Clive Barker. Right? Uh, I do, speaking of horror hosting, uh, how, uh, Joe Bob Briggs does the horror host version of Hellraiser, which I actually do recommend uh, w- watching on Shudder because he goes, he, he talks about how Clive Barker learned, like wrote the screenplay. He was living in at the meatpacking district, which is now super trendy 
Uh, but back in mm. the day, not so much. Uh, <laughs> and they listened to the club that he saw the fetish work that inspired the movie. But then Joe Bob Briggs read the list of all the surrounding clubs and what their names were. Oh. And it is probably uh, some people don't really like Joe Bob Briggs act, but once again, I think I always shout out to any horror host, no matter who he is. And he's he's really an act. He's actually a really sweet guy in person. I'm a mutant, I'll admit it. Um, yeah. But uh, he he is absolutely some of the funniest stuff he's ever done is just read that list. So I highly recommend, and I know it's a little edgy for Mr. Graves. He's not really in, but the Hellraiser horror uh-huh. hosted by Joe Bob Briggs on Shudder has some of the best se- inter- intermittent segments in between a film that I've seen. What Queenie, how many times have you and I seen that movie? Probably like a thousand times at this <laughs> point, probably between the a two of us. I learned something from that. Million. I actually learned more, and that's why I love horror hosts, and that's why I love people like you, Mr. Graves, because I learned something from watching your shows. It's not just about, you know, I do like, 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 I do like a little bit of wisdom. I mean, Elvira is my hero, and I would be Elvira, and I love her wisecracks, and I love everything about Cassandra Peterson, and she just gave the madness a shout-out this year, which is making me cry so bad right now. I'm absolutely becunted of that. But but what I love about your show, Mr. Graves, and people like Bob Wilkins and Joe Bob Briggs, is that you bring – and the, the wonderful guy on AMC that died a couple years ago, they would bring all this information to the table and, t- make, and tell you more about the films. And so how much research do you do, or is this just stuff you've been reading all your lives and you can just bring it out? Uh, I mean, do you, what, what is, how do you plan your, your shows that way? Uh, basically – I'm a huge trivia geek myself. <laughs> I, I love behind the scenes and the different things that go on in the movies. I have a huge horror collection in my library of all the old classic films, uh, not only the Universal, but like you said, the Hammer films, uh, American International, Amicus, uh, two of Amicus. my favorite films from Amicus, Tales from the Crypt and The Vault of Horror which are based on the old EC comic books, which I have a complete mm-hmm. set of. Uh, just nice. Absolutely fantastic. Wow. Um, they're reprints, unfortunately, but I still have the whole set. <laughs> uh, I work for the National Archives and Records Administration in my day job, and one of the things we do have in our treasure vault is a bunch of EC original comics, and that's because there was a big um, congressional hearing and up on Capitol Hill and an investigation of the FBI and they collected them. And so now they are permanently part of the treasure vault, the national archives as an important treasure to, when they originally were taken. Cause they were considered bad for kids. Right. Frederick Wortham. Yuck. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I just find that really funny, you know, cause they were t- confiscated from people to save them from themselves but now that we have them we keep them because they're so friggin' valuable <laughs> oh the, no, the artwork and the stories are just phenomenal just, uh, love those but, I, it's um, great yeah like i said what i do i go through my my books what i can find and as i've told people before the wiring in my head is not right because i will remember the most obscure fact about something and I'll go to my job and say, 
okay, what was I supposed to do today? <laughs> so I a lot of it comes from that. no. <laughs> a lot of it comes from my own personal researches long, long ago when there wasn't anything there, and sometimes maybe I can't find anything. I'll use the internet. I'll use all my resources. Uh, IMDb is a good place. Uh, Wikipedia, um, maybe something there that I didn't know before, and I can find and say, "This is good. I like this." You know, I want to pass on something, not just okay. You know, Boris Karloff, his real name was da 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 da. Bella Lugosi, real name da da. But something more intimate and personal that was going on. Uh, like I said, I I love that kind of stuff, and I'm trying to make the next generation of monster kids and by showing these films I don't want them to become lost one of the greatest films I would love to see and find is Lon Chaney's London After Midnight yeah fantastic film read about it seen pictures about it have never been able to really see the film because unfortunately all the copies I don't know if there's anything left of it other than the pictures exactly uh, a few years back, Turner Classic Movies put together what they called a photo play, and they took several stills from the film and put together almost like basically a silent movie with a lot of reading in between the stills and did kind of give you an idea of what it was. I will also show silent films as well, Nosferatu, uh, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and especially the Phantom of the Opera. These are films that people right need to remember. And I also have a radio program. It's called Tales of the Macabre, where I replay old horror shows, science fiction from the 30s and the 40s, basically the golden age of radio horror, because I don't want these to become lost. So people My- need to understand these films and remember them. My best friend, one of my best friends, John Hazel, is a huge The Shadow radio play fan, and so he 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 would he would love to listen to your stuff, I'm sure. So, <laughs> well, tomorrow night at seven o'clock on our radio program, we are going to play the original War of the Worlds. Yay! Right on. Which, which is always a good time. Uh, I always love when people do that, when they broadcast it. Uh, besides that, what else are you showing on your TV? Because you said you're doing the War of the Worlds movie right now, right? The, the yeah, that's playing right from, now, yes. Where are we, may I ask, in the film? Can I ask where you are? Uh, yeah, uh, Gene Berry has just crashed his airplane, uh-huh. and they are in the farmhouse. Oh, and the Martian uh, cylinders are landing, and they're just about ready to see what the Martians look like. Oh, good. I was going to say, yeah, we're about to the big reveal when you get to see the weird eye on the monster. You know, mm-hmm. we, we'll this thing. <laughs> so, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, so, excellent. So, what else are you playing for Halloween this year? What could we, if we turned on your your streaming, what will we find? All right. Well, uh, tomorrow at eight thirty. We will have the creature from the Black Lagoon, and then starting at 2 p.m., the Phantom of the Opera, followed by Horror Express, Godzilla, and then at 8 o'clock is our Halloween show, which I don't want to give the title away for that one just yet. (laughs) Uh, We do what I call the 
trick-or-treat show, and I will ask three what I call monster questions. And the first person that can answer all three of those correctly and send them to me gets the treat. And it's their choice, the Holiday Hotel poster, DVD of the show, or T-shirt of their their liking. And then our final, we will wrap up tomorrow with Night of the Living Dead. Nice. Which just had its 50th anniversary not too long ago. As well as Halloween has had its 40th anniversary. So this has been a very significant year for anniversaries in horror. And I want to also say, with help with you, sir, and and the mainstream horror has been great this year. This has been a phenomenally good year for horror. And I'm glad that you get to be part of it. And thank you for coming on the show. And I can expose you to a few people out there. uh, (laughs) They're listening somewhere. I have some people that know me. Uh, know this show uh, and Queenie. Everyone knows Queenie. Queenie is Queenie is the YouTube right. extraordinaire. Everyone knows who she is now. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and make sure people know you exist. And and you're, there are still horror hosts doing their thing. As much as I love Spengooly, he's on there, but he's the syndicated guy. He's the one you can get on any you know on the digital channel number three band, right? This guy is doing it on the web, and he's doing it every Friday himself. And there's horror hosts, there's more horror hosts out there than the colors of the black rainbow. So thank you, sir, for being on the show. And uh, any final words before you head out for the evening? I know that it's getting kind of late. We're all getting very tired around here. We got to get ready for Devil's Night, and we got to get ready for Halloween. So what do you do? You got to do your push-ups. Do you drink coffee? What are you going to do to get ready? I uh, basically, I don't have to do anything to get ready because I'm always ready. Excellent. Halloween is is my life, my love, and I want to wish all of my children of the grave a very happy Halloween. And as always, rest in peace. Thank you, Gruce, Mr. Gruesome Graves. <laughs> it was an honor to have you on. And you, you once again, come on anytime. Well, you want to gab because I know you can gab as well as any of us here on the show. So, <laughs> shutting me up about horror is a hard thing to do, and oh, I thank yeah. you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, my dear. Thank you, and ha- have a good film hunting and happy Halloween. And you as well. Bye bye. Good night. Well, that was a pleasure, don't you think? Hello. That was awesome. Oh, good. So now <laughs> we're just sound to us three sexy witches. Uh, we're going to leave mm-hmm. soon, but we got a little extra time. So let's really quick talk madness because we have all have been, have been part of it. We're in week five right now, which actually mm-hmm. will end at sunup on Thursday morning. So it's only a half day, a half week uh, because Halloween is tomorrow. Matter of fact, Halloween on the West, East Coast is an hour away. I might as well stay up for it, so and it's on its way. Uh, we've made it to the end. Uh, I, this has been a very interesting madness. First of all, it's been a very stressful madness when it comes to real-life situations. A lot of people have had real life getting in the way in some way from their madness, yeah. everything from car crashes to people being diagnosed with horrible diseases, like more than one. 
or or potentially, you know, um, we've had nervous breakdowns, not related to the madness necessarily, but there's been a lot of stress. I myself have been having a hell of a time at work and a lot of other things I don't want to talk about has been happening. Uh, you know, everyone's been having so much stuff go on, but the madness itself, even though I've, it's my results have been a little slow, has been pretty smooth. <laughs> most most everybody gets their summaries in on time. This is the first week we had multiple late people. Um, there's only been one late person a week um, the entire madness until this week. Wow. And, and this week, part of it was just people were a little confused. They thought the week ended. I was like, no, we had to reset the week because if we had two weeks of summary to go through, the judges would just melt. So <laughs> I have to break it up, you know, <laughs> for their sake, right? Uh, so uh, so we're in week five right now. And, and so people are getting them in tonight, I've noticed. So I've already gotten a few of the stragglers in. But everyone's been turning them in. Team from the dark side, who's, um, who Newt is, is the captain of and is going to win this thing. Let's just be honest. She's going to win this thing. And this will be her <laughs> third win. A third win, I was my tradition to retire that person. So I'm going to have to talk to Newt about that. She might be retiring from the madness. Can you believe that? I don't know. Wow. How can we go on? I love reading her summaries, though, because they're always strain of con- like conscious train of thought kind of things, and they're hysterical, mm. especially if you know the movie, so you know what she's looking at. <laughs> it's like, ha-ha, and they're accurate. I usually use her summary to judge the other ones on because her summary is almost always the most accurate of our summaries right but this year everyone got them in and it was fantastic Uh, we've been getting them in everyone's gotten their stuff in Uh, people have paid a lot of money to the theaters and seen several movies in the theaters we've had several people attend film festivals and conventions including myself Uh, Aaron of course has already done several outside of sense that count Right, and your own trivia yeah. night, uh, yeah. Queenie. You went to the haunted hot walkthrough this last week, and you watched a shit ton of movies. And you've been yeah. doing Halloween shit on your own, right? Tell people about your no. show. <laughs> My channel's like full of it. Yeah, I still need to count from you of how many actual videos you've done in I'll the month of October, so I'll I can get that. Point. One more time, we do. Yeah, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. As long as you get it to me before the grace period's over, I'm good. Um, I just need to add it so I can add it to your total at the end. So we got time. We got time. (laughs) So um, uh, let's see. Uh, Every one of us tried to binge some of the Halloween movies. Hold on just a second. I have a caller. Let's bring them on. Three, two, one. You are on with the sexy witches. Hi, Elizabeth. It's Kat. I'm calling from Virginia. Hello, Kat. Can you hear Virginia. me? Yes, I can. Can Hello. you hear me? Hello. <laughs> yeah, I can. What's up? I What's wanted up? to know what other controversial choices you had for a horror movie. Because um, I do understand why you love The Mummy with Christopher Lee, because I love that one, too. But I'm uh-huh. still, the Karloff is still, that one is still my ultimate favorite. So I wondered oh, okay. what other controversial choices you had. Uh, I have a new one. Are you ready? I was actually about to talk about uh-huh. it because okay, oh, sorry. we just did. Oh no, good timing. The Halloween binge. We just all participated in some level of the Halloween binge. Queenie actually completed uh-huh. all eleven movies. Woohoo! And you did too. Help me. <laughs> and 
Sharon, how many of the Halloween? You finished the the binge also. You got all eleven movies in. I right. All the Halloweens out. I yeah. almost done all the Simpsons. Uh, well, no, no. I just need orders. to know Halloween. I'm leading. I'm leading somewhere. Yeah, yeah. All the Halloweens. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've only gotten up to the H2O watched. I did not. I don't have Resurrection onwards rewatch. I've seen the Rob Zombie one. I tried to rewatch it. I turned it off. That's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> but I have an unpopular opinion. I think the fourth movie is better than the second film. I agree. You have to remember which one is the fourth one again. I'm starting to get confused. Okay. The fourth film is the introduction of Daniel Harris. Uh, and it's the first oh, one. Yeah. After, yeah. It's the first one. Yeah, right, it's called yeah. The Return of you're Michael wrong. Myers. I think you're wrong, but that's okay. See, See I'm I, not sure. Uh, <laughs> someone's, t- uh-oh. What's wrong? Oh, no, no, it's okay. People are checking in. We're fine. Keep going, keep going. See, I, I've been rewatching all of them. I started, I didn't mean to. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to watch them chronologically. I was just going to catch them whenever. But I ended up watching one through six in order. And and so the, the fourth film, it has some downtime. They all do. Let's be, except for the first movie, which is streamlined and to the point and really doesn't have any breathing room. It just keeps going, right? The tension's just there the whole time. Uh, the second film's more of like a slasher, and it reminded me more of like a Friday the 13th kind of film. And when they go to the fourth movie, it kind of goes back to what the original was with the suburbs being so clean and innocent, but this menace is there. And, and I thought the ending was really good. That was actually what saved. I thought that Daniel Harris and the girl that plays Rachel in the fourth, excellent final girls. And I thought that from the mm-hmm. moment that they climb on the roof to the end of that film is actually really fun. And the music's really good. And I was like, you know, you really get it. I, I, so that's why I didn't feel the same way about the second film. The second film, I was kind of bored by most of it. There's a lot of downtime. The hot tub murder. Oh my God. I will admit that is terrible and awesome all at the same time. Uh, but uh, that's an un- I know that's a uh, controversial opinion to like the fourth one over the second. But I'm not the only one that believes this. I've actually had a couple people say yes. Well, see, I actually was a teenager when the first movie came out. And, actually, um, and when the second one came out, of course, we had no clue that you were going to have like a, a thousand more movies coming afterwards. So we were all excited, and we had this is when VCR was big and VHS. So we got to we got it home for one Halloween, and we got to stay up and watch the second movie. And I just had a blast because we didn't really have a lot of serial killer movies, and, you didn't, and he was totally different. You didn't really get how the slasher movies were just starting to come up, and. To me, it was like a whole different ball game, and I had it was a lot more gruesome. But we were still invested in the Jamie character, so I was totally still totally into the second movie. Uh, but I see your point though about the fourth one. It, I, you know, it, it's one of those things. It's also, a, you know, because I didn't watch the movies as a kid. Those movies, I didn't watch them until I was adult. So my, my opinion, and for, that was a first watch for me for the four. Four, five, and six, I had never seen all the way through. I've seen some pieces of them. Um, I will say, I have to give a shout out to six, a curse, 
of Michael Myers mm-hmm. as being just weird wackadoo. <laughs> that is, cool. it, is just, it is so weird. Like, like Paul, first of all, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd gives the most sexually confusing <laughs> performance in a film I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's he's scary and unhinged, yet you totally want to, like, date him, and he's, like, good Lunk. to a baby, but he looks like he's going to eat the baby at the same time, <laughs> uh, and, wow. and, 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 and so it was so weird. What is happening? <laughs> it's so I'll, I'll give weird. You the weird part. Yeah. It makes no sense. I mean, and, and like, they're, and uh. the, the style... The style, they're clashing styles. Like, the opening looks like the 90s film it is, right? But then it tries to bring <laughs> in, like, Carpenter's elements into it, and and, and it doesn't work. Like, like the, the, the styles completely mesh, <laughs> like, clash with each totally other. Not this, it's so totally not this, off. Yeah, it's completely, totally off. Uh, you know, and it makes yeah, and they no also sense. don't even have Danielle Harris in it. They also just put right. substituted somebody else, and nothing against that, that actress, but she's up. it's not Danielle Harris. Yes, it well, just doesn't I, fit right there. No, it didn't, and it, and they aged her up, which you know they did that in the eighties. I can kind of give that a pass, yeah. but you know, but you know, I, I, but you know, it was just like the continuity up to like five is actually pretty consistent in the movies, except for three. We don't talk about mm-hmm. three that way. Three is its own level of awesome. We could. I want to do an entire yeah. show just on Season of the Witch someday. <laughs> yeah. That movie has a lot. Hey, let me tell you, when it came mm-hmm. out, oh, my God, again, it was VHS. So ooh, we got to bring it home and watch it because I was yeah, in a small yeah. town where you didn't get to go to the theater. If you had a theater, it would show like things from a year or more later. And then they finally closed it down. So we, VHS was, we're a small town. Oh, my God, VHS was, was just, we loved it. So when we got to see that one, we totally were okay, okay, Michael's not in this. We had a blast with it. People wanted to go back and say, go back and show those kills. Show those kills again. But some people uh, that was the couldn't only handle. One of, the, of the 11 I knew, I have seen that one multiple <laughs> times. I've seen that one more than I've seen the first movie. And I've seen, I can, you know, it was one of those things, watching the original Halloween again is like, I can't even really watch it anymore because I've seen it so many times. So many times. Yeah, you know, I, I yeah I taped it off. Yeah, I taped it off the TV, and I just like when I wanted to watch a horror movie, that's what I put on. I knew that yeah. movie by heart. I actually scared a co- one of my cousins wanted to see it, and I, I let her stay up and watch it. It scared her. Like yeah, but for me, the first Halloween was really special because I was super young when I saw it, so it left like it it turned me into a horror mm-hmm. fan. So like, oh, yeah. I saw it over my mom's shoulder while she was watching it. She didn't know I was there, and I'm you know doing something naughty anyway. And I'm watching this horror movie, and oh my god, this scary guy comes out and he's killing people, and he's got a bad mask, but oh god, he's scary. <laughs> I <laughs> you know, and I'm nicer like, without him. Yeah, I, I liked revisiting it again in the sense that it's always good to remind you what a simple film yeah. the original is mm-hmm. and there's you don't need and that, maybe that's what infuriates me about the Rod Zombie movie so much because I try to watch the Rod Zombie movie and first of all they take it's all of what all the, the, the suburb imagery from the first six movies they take that all away and give you this yep. rundown aesthetic which is Bullshit good for Rod Zombie crap. but not 
not the suburbs Haddonfield is supposed to be, right? Uh, you know, so there's that it issue. Made it and also, because it was like in your backyard kind of deal, you know? And, I, and, and it's like worse. And then there's this kid, which, you know, yeah, okay, uh, if this movie was standalone like, and was a character study of that kid and how he evolved into a psychopath, I'd be on board with that. But that's not what we're getting. We're getting an no. origin story for something that doesn't need to exist. Like, Liz, like when I did my summary and I said there's this part in the Rob Zombie film where I totally checked out and I was done with it, it was when uh-huh. he had that damn rape scene. That fucking rape scene that doesn't need to be in the film, but he put it in there for shock value. And it's purely shock value because Michael Myers wouldn't give a fuck about that. Yeah. No, <gasps> that's actually, and that's actually an issue with Curse as well because they hint that Jamie yep. was raped by Mike Myers to have the baby. And it's like, and has he yeah, shown any inkling? <laughs> okay, when you watch Freddy Krueger, yeah, there's some sexual tension going on between him and Le- Heather Leggenkamp. Like this Nancy, he, he, want, he wants to the covet theory, Nancy. Right? He covets it's him, part of her, right? From the get-go. It's not just yeah. shoved in there. No, it's not. But Mike Myers Tell and Jason, well, Jason has a backstory, <laughs> but they're not necessary. Their backstories are irrelevant. Right. They are killing machines yep. that are unstoppable and immortal, which I want to give a shout, two more shout outs. I want to talk about five for a minute. First of all, I like six better than five. <laughs> a lot yep. of people say. And that is because five has just got, first of all, they kill off Rachel almost immediately. And I think that that yeah. was a mistake because they left us with these two really annoying girls, you know, are not going to make it through the movie and they don't. Uh, <laughs> you know. And they're also dressed like fucking French a French poot, they have a French skirt, and then the other girl's wearing a devil costume for Halloween. Come on. Do you have to, prim- like, premise hammer your slasher <laughs> that more? That is, like, come on. Slashers are not known for its subtle. That was just, like, give me a break, guys. Come on. You could have done better than that. <laughs> you know, there was that going yeah, on. Yeah, I know. It pulled it's almost like they phoned it in. They just wanted the money, and they kind of phoned it in. Yeah, it pulls its punches. At one point, Mike Myers attacks a a children's hospital, attacks, and kills people. We know this because they talk about it on the radio. It's how all the cops go away and all this stuff, right? We don't get to see any of that. Pulls its punches. We should have gotten a really Mm. terrifying scene of kids running for their lives as he kills the teachers. Because he obviously killed the adults. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That would have been awesome. That would have made up for a lot of that movie. The weird thing, though, (laughs) is the soundtrack. Okay, this is the one that bothered me. Okay, there's these two cops in the movie that are in it for about two-thirds of it before Mike Myers finally kills them, right? And they're watching the Mm -hmm. kids. Every time they're on screen, they would get a bouncy ha-ha track. Like, they're supposed (laughs) to be funny. Did you even notice yeah. that? It's, it's it not is, funny. Yeah, that was <laughs> annoying. So, and, and they're not doing anything funny. That's what's really weird it's about sad. it. It's like, it, it is like not necessary. I mean, it completely, yeah. like Rachel is run, is scared shitless outside in a towel and, and, and it went and, and like, you know, they're lo- and she knows something's up, but she hasn't been able to find her dog. Right. And all they're doing is like, <laughs> the music's like, it's totally, totally off. And I I just found the whole fifth movie was just like um like like ugh. And what's too bad is because I think Daniel Harris is really holding her own in the film. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think the ending is Brilliant. okay. 
the ending where she's like like has to lay in the coffin and she's resigned to her fate is pretty fucked up yeah. to watch a nine year old girl get resigned to her own fate. You know, yeah. I have a nine year old. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't really happy about that. <laughs> so she's still like, convincing my, my, an actress though. Yeah. Well it's, and like and you just feel too sad for her. She can't talk through most of the film and and yeah. and what but she does what she can with the part. I do want to say that there's a scene where she finally speaks for the first time and it's Tina giving her a big hug. Right. And I was so, that's actually Mm -hmm. the moment that pissed me off the most in that movie, because they've already killed Rachel off at this point. We don't even know technically she, we've seen her stabbed, but she's not in the movie again until she's a body at the very, like what, five minutes of the movie. That scene should have been between her and Rachel. It had no Mm -hmm. emotional impact whatsoever. Like, it was like, mm. throw away. If it was Rachel, yeah. it would have had a, so much emotional impact. And I don't know why we, they traded, baited and switched us final girls. Like, yeah, having your final girl survive more than one film is not always kosher. I just think they could have left her in it longer. So, yeah. those are my, those are yeah, my opinions. I that. <laughs> okay. That's good. Those are good opinions. Oh, I like your opinion. I do, <laughs> I do. Oh, and one more. H2O. Let's talk about H2O just for a second. Whoa, I'm not going to get into oh, it. <laughs> you know how much I, I love do. that one. Well, I know you don't like that one. But I want to say, though, <laughs> the, now, this has nothing to do with the plot because I actually kind of like the movie, but not that it's good. It's not good. But it's. Uh, but I do geek out watching <laughs> like like Jamie Lee like Curtis fight Mike Myers. <laughs> Anytime they fight, it's awesome, right? It's Mike Myers fighting yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, there's just yeah. something about it that's classic and awesome. Okay, she decapitates. Right. <laughs> spoiler alert: she decapitates him at the end of the film, right? Cuts his fucking it's head like, off. Yep. Why has anybody it? done that in six movies? Nobody <laughs> has tried to cut off his fucking head. You're asking He's- the hard questions. Come on, people have gouged him in the eye, and they constantly shoot him with bullets, and he resets and gets up and fights. Like Daniel Harris at the end of the, of the, of the sixth one goes, is it the sixth one? No, oh, fifth one, where she goes, you know, he's never going to die, right? She says that yeah. to him, yeah. right? Uh, and, like, and it has cut. two minutes. So I'm like, he's immortal. He'll never die. Shooting him does nothing. Haven't they seen Highlander or any vampire movie to know or <laughs> film about gods that you cut their fucking heads off? That's yeah, cancer. You cut their heads off. That's what you cut do. Cut their damn head off. Cut they their can't walk around. The only time that never that didn't work in a film was Reanimator. That's the only That's time right. I think that didn't yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that really That's didn't work. That's good, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it still slows you down though even if you're like still yeah. live through that it's still a problem you don't have a head uh, you know? yeah. so anyway that is my adventures with the Halloween movies but Queenie and, and, and you guys what did you think of the new one because I didn't see the new one yet I loved it I loved it it was like it's it great. was both its own thing and kind of rekindling those feelings I had as a kid, you know. I'm like, this is Michael Myers. He's fucking scary, mm-hmm. you know. And this is Jamie Lee Curtis. You know, she's a fucking survivor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am for it. <laughs> and I love, I like, love the, the three generations thing. of tough ass women. Yeah. 
three generations of tough ass women. I, I love that. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. You know, anytime you got strong women on there, I want that movie. I'm going to be yep. there. You know, yep. I, I'm, um, I, someone was saying that they wanted that there, there's actually a campaign to have Jamie Lee Curtis up for best supporting actress for, for Ooh, Halloween. Cool. Which is cool. Damn. And, and so, of course, a lot of horror um, film award shows were saying, like, you know, like Fright Meters are saying, well, she definitely needs the best actress. And I was like, no, really? It goes to Toni Collette this year for Hereditary. I honestly think that she actually has a shot at the Oscar. Uh, but, you know. I'd be happy to that. Like, well, that's Did it make point. box office Look like at... Halloween did, though? Come on. This is the, uh, the Academy well, we're it talking about here. It, it, it stayed in the it stayed in the theater since its release in the early summer. It, people were still we had people that went to see it in the theaters this October. So yeah, Hereditary is made. Uh, the, matter of fact, it was the highest grossing film for A24 ever. So it's making mm-hmm. its money. Yeah. It's doing its own thing. No, no, Halloween has crossed for the number one biggest October opening in history as of today. Yeah. So. Yeah, um, and but that's my point, though. Look at what we had. This was a fantastic month to do the madness, and this was one of the best mainstream horror years I have seen in a long time. Even yeah. Hellfest, which flopped, was actually rather enjoyable. I saw that in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, we had, I think they tried to play with the tropes a bit, and I appreciated that. And they tried I had to get a lot of people that you actually liked. And Beck, it, oh it, my God, she was fantastic. Yeah, it was great, and and you know, and then uh, you know, it was so neat to know that the the Georgia boys of Days of the Dead and all of them were 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 behind the scenes on that, and that made me so excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there were people on screen even from down in uh, down there in Atlanta. So shout out to the Atlanta. Uh, you know, there were two great child children's offerings for Halloween this year. You had a house with a clock in its walls, and that was great. I went to see that with my daughter with it. a thriller. Yeah, and the Thriller 3D that was in front of it was so much fun. Like, great. Yeah, that I never, was fun. I was surprised because post-conversion 3D can be hit or miss. This was totally a hit. The post-conversion looked fantastic. And it, I haven't seen Thriller look that good in years. So that was really interesting to see as an adult. And also, subconsciously, how I knew every single dance move. Like, I was in the <laughs> theater going... I could do the zombies dance. And I'm like, oh, my God, I still remember. Oh, my God. That was 1984. I was 11, and I can still do that fucking dance. Um, so I'm impressed. That, and then, I'm very impressed. Goosebumps 2 came out also. So there was a, a, a Halloween it. offering. Yeah, both had Jack Black, coincidentally, even though Jack Black's only in Goosebumps 2 for like a minute. Uh, but Jack Black yeah. was in friggin' Jack Black was all over the place as October. He and in Tenacious D just launched their TV show, Post Apocalyptic, on YouTube Rev. And I watched the first episode. It's free on YouTube. So I recommend mm-hmm. that. And I have tickets what to go it? see him. Uh, Post It's there. It's a short okay, I'm program. Gonna, I'm going to write that down. Yeah, it's an animated TV short about them surviving the apocalypse. It's cheesy as you would think it would be, but the music is <laughs> Tenacious D. So, you know, you got uh, Tenacious D is coming oh, okay. out with a new album. I'm going to go see their tour next month on the 7th. Uh, it's either the cool. 7th or the 11th of November. I know I'm going to see them. I think it's the 7th, and then I go see Ghost on December 11th. I get them mixed up, which one's, I think, Tenacious D's turn. <laughs> so, uh 
you know, so that's really exciting. So they were everywhere. And Jack Black is the clock on his wall brought him back in my heart. I was so excited to see him do a good performance. He hasn't done a great performance in a long time. And I'm a huge fan of his yeah. forever, you know, but it was nice to see. And him and Kate Blanchett had surprisingly amazing. Mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett had amazing chemistry together. Who knew? Who they knew? Did. That I noticed work. that. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh. I like what oh they did God. with that movie. I mean, it's still kids friendly, but you can still be an adult and go to it. Oh, yeah. I, it was a and blast. And I was impressed with them. The Evil Genius and I had a great time going to see that film. So I was really psyched. The, the, um, the TV offerings have been phenomenal. You had Netflix dropping Apostle and Into the Dark, which are two really good films. You had the Michael Flanagan's House and ha- uh, Haunting of Hill House, which has been a huge hit. Uh, I've yeah. only gotten a couple episodes into it, but I'll tell you, I'm going to stick with it to the end. Uh, it looks great. Um, I have some mixed feelings about Eli Roth's history of horror. Um, I think oh, as, really? as a, yeah, um, and only he's, it's mostly sometimes people have said things that I've disagreed with, but it was going back to mm. Night of the Living Dead and George Romero zombies. It's something Eli Roth said in the first episode. And he said that the George Romero was the first person to invent when a zombie bites you, you turn into a zombie. That is absolutely wrong. Wrong. Wrong sauce, okay? No, you do not, in the Romero film, turn into a zombie because you were bit by one. You get Correct. bit, you get sick, you die, and then you turn into a zombie. You turn into a zombie no matter how you die. Everyone turns into a zombie when you die. Walking Dead uses that trope, actually. Um, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. how you die, you're going to turn into a zombie. Um, so yeah. that is what Romero did. And that Eli Roth had made such a blatant mistake in the first episode, I really had issues with. That being said, I like when they occasionally give shout-outs to a good film. Like they, the slasher ones, they gave a shout-out to Maniac. Gotta give a shout-out to Maniac. I was very pleased that they did that. Um, I was really surprised in the Demon episode that they did not cover Demons. Um, uh, you know, one of the classic demon movies of all time, right? I mean, how many of us love demons? I mean, that's like Erin Marie, Sexy Witch. That's her favorite Italian horror film <clears throat> is demons. Why didn't they mention demons, it? I mean, demons. They haven't it's really done weird that they much of anything in the way of Italian. No, they haven't. They they covered. Have they covered? They covered Suspiria, or they are going to cover Suspiria because nope. they're going to do something on Argento. But I think that's later okay. on and. But, you know, I was really surprised. Yeah, they kind of, there's been, but, but once again, I like who they get to talk about the shows. Jack Black's again on, on one of it. They, and they have yeah. Greg Nicotero and Jamie Lee Curtis talking about Halloween and all these one. Oh, and they had Mark and Marion Herring talking about Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby. And that is actually an interesting thing to hear her say. Uh, because, you know, there's a lot of weight going into watching, a, a, you know, a Polanski film nowadays. So right. I thought uh, using her right. to talk about it was was a good step, because if anybody understands relations between women and men, it's Marion Heron. Uh, so, uh, mm. you know, it, it's an interesting it, – it, so I did like that part of the Demons episode when they covered Rosemary's Baby. Um, but it, But there's just a couple things here and there that, like – you know, no, that's not right. Like they also tried to 
lands torture porn on Saw, which isn't true. It, uh, Saw was not considered a torture porn when it came out. That really, the name was coined with Hostile. They do admit it later. Eli Roth does admit later that torture porn was coined because of Hostile, but they took a whole segment to do it, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so, uh, so I, and I'm not the Saw expert. That would be Queenie here. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I still haven't binged those films yet. You got to do so. it. I know I do. It, I know, but look, I, I was revisiting Mike Myers this this um, you know this madness. So, um, by the way, everyone gets five points for being on the show today. So I've already I've already recorded you guys. It'll add it to your overall score. Uh, make sure you include it on your summary, so I don't forget. Even okay. though I totally remember. Uh, summaries are due. Set up November 1st, but we have a four-day grace period, so the final deadline is Sunday, November 3rd, or November 4th, sorry, Sunday, November 4th, at the end of the day. And there's no grace period past that, so that, if you don't get it in by four days, you got four days to do it, you're late. Yeah, I late. have to borrow. I'll be borrowing the work computer again, but that will be, but I'll get it in. Well, the good news is everyone has four days to get their final summary in, and it was a short week. So there's that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be yeah. easy, and then the madness, you'll be surprised. A lot of people are like, well, I'm going to make it the whole whole week. I'm like, you're not. Nobody does. That's because the madness nope. wanes. It's like a spell breaks. It's really interesting how that happens. Like November 1st, something does, and the madness starts to wane. Doesn't it, Queenie? It does. It yep. does, and and then they slowly all the summaries cut rolling in, and then I I by Tuesday of that of the next week I'll probably have the winner up. Uh, but I can already tell you, Newt White has won the overall score. There's no way anyway any closer. There's no way we can she's, beat that one. She's going to crack two thousand with her week four score. Uh, so and that's job. one person. I've never had a two thousand per uh, two thousand point madness before. Uh, so uh, <laughs> right now, Team Team Ginger Dead, which is Raven Jasper Hawk's team, is dominating the the uh, team win. But there's still possible room for an upset, so we'll keep you on that. And the Ooh. top five is still up for grabs. So all that's happening now. We gotta go for the night. That's it. That's our Halloween episode. Uh, we will come back on the 18th of November with our annual These Are a Few of Our Favorite Things episode. First hour, we're gonna talk about everything we love that wasn't movies this year, the concerts we went to, the, the games we played, all that kind of fun stuff, uh, the TV we watched, music we're listening to. We're going to save films for the first episode of season five. We always save films for the, uh, we save films for later after the Christmas season is over. So, and the second hour will be devoted to Jason Trost and Clay Wickham, who are the director and stars of the SP2 Beats of Rage. They'll be on to talk about their movies and to gab about our adventures at Columbus Film Festival and the zoo. I mean, I mean, the Nightmare Film Festival in Columbus and the zoo, which is uh, was quite an experience, and also what they're going to do in the future. Uh, and then we're going to have one more episode of the year, and that I think is the Tuesday, December 4th, which will be our finale of this season four of The Sexy Witches, and that'll be our Krampus holiday women in horror Christmas episode (laughs) there's going to be a few surprises in that episode you don't want to miss that one I'm not getting into it any more than that Uh, so 
Uh, all of this can be found on Blog Talk and Stitcher, and you can find Queenie on her own channel on YouTube, and you can find Erin online. You can find Erin Marie online, even though she's not with us tonight. Thank you, Gruesome Graves, and thank you, Michelle, and thank you, everyone who's listening tonight. We're going to leave you with the Dance Macabre remix by Ghost. And because that was one of my favorite things of 2018 was a ghost album, uh, Rat, <laughs> which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Prequel, prequel was, you know, cheesy Abba in a goth gear. That's what I've been calling it. So it's a lot of fun. You go good film hunting and uh, much love and madness. Good night, everybody. Happy Halloween. Good night. Happy Halloween.